Would you rather that an entire class of school children, let's say somewhere in Africa, would you rather that an entire class of school children in Africa was turned into werewolves, somewhere where, if anything, is probably safer for them, or that you were turned into a were goldfish? All right, do we want to roll on this bullshit? I, I don't even know. What is he fucking asking? I. A, a classroom full what of What the hell is a children. were-goldfish? No, it's, that's, no, that's where you went? I can wrap my brain around a were-goldfish. I cannot wrap my brain around why specifically children in Africa are safer as werewolves than they are here. Yeah, because they're in Africa and not here, so they're safer directly to us. Remember, it's Terry. I just, I just, I don't, fuck. All right, roll. Yeah, let's roll. I got a 12. I got a 16. Um... I'm not going to be a were goldfish. I'm sorry. I'm going to I'm going to put that on the children. Really, a class full of when I, when the moon when the moon turns full children. You're goddamn right. I will in because the Sahara. Yes, when the moon goes full for me, I will then all of a sudden suffocate on dry land, and no one will know what the fuck is happening. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I need to. What if you have your nice little hybrid mode where you just need to stay wet? Dan, I have news for you. I'm always wet. Gross. Gross. <laughs> it's a mimic the roundtable dungeons and dragons discussion podcast where you never know what you're going to get welcome to another episode in our conversation on mob mentalities where we look at some of the shifty humanoids out there that can make up enemy armies in dungeons and dragons i'm dan and with me today is adam hello and this episode is called lycanthrope packs having the wherewithal I was so fucking proud of that one. You should be, man. That was pretty good. That was pretty good. So anyways, we've reached out to our army of hairy friends. All of them are hairy, including Megan. And allies... Especially Megan. Especially Megan. And... Brad is weirdly smooth like a dolphin, though. Kinda. Yeah, maybe he is a weird goldfish. He's always kind of... No, he's some sort of hairless man dolphin. Oh, okay. Anyways... We've reached out to them for help with all... God damn it, Adam. (laughs) We've... I'm not even through the intro. (laughs) You derailed me. Um, So we've reached out to our army of hairy fiends and allies to help us break down what lycanthrope packs look like in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. Adam, we need to talk specifically about what lycanthropy is first. Sure. Before we move on. Now, lycanthropy is an old, 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 old word. I nerded the fuck out about this for I don't know a couple weeks about exactly where like the origins of the word lycanthropy came from would you like to know some of that information uh yeah I am always into etymology weirdly enough okay so hit me so the word lycanthropy has been around uh for literally millennia um first being mentioned by the Roman courtier Gaius Petronius Arbiter courtier but okay yeah who served under Emperor Nero of Rome. This guy was the emperor of Rome around the time they were hanging people on crosses. And and then that one guy got back up again. But well, I'm not going to talk about that now. Sure. Yeah. Um, was he a lycanthrope? Was he was he bitten by a god? Uh, Capital G. <laughs> I guess I'm not going to talk about that now. Anyways, um, Gaius Petronius, who is commonly referred to as Petronius. We wouldn't have Easter if they'd used silver nails. <laughs> Oh, I feel bad. I feel dirty. (laughs) We just went through Easter and you dropped that one? Yeah, I did. Really? Okay. Hey, I went through all the zombie episodes without mentioning it. Okay, fair. Yeah, that's good. Anyways, Petronius was a renowned judge, but he did live a bit of a peculiar life. 
he would sleep exclusively during the day and at night would re, uh, would engage in his uh, business, which was um, lawmaking, law officiating um, and writing, as well as his own pleasures. And I'm not kidding you. When I looked up like a autobiography, not autobiography, a biography of Protronius, it actually had the word pleasures in quotations. And I went, the fuck? This guy, I'm not kidding. Obsesses over laws and rules, does a whole lot of writing and reading and stuff, sleeps all day, up all night, totally into hedonistic lifestyle. Oh, uh, remember, Nero is known. Um, I'm not sure of your knowledge of who Nero is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Nero Nero was the guy who gave a lordship to his horse and forced people to worship his horse because his horse was his best friend and he claimed that the horse talked to him. He threw a party so extravagant for the birthday of his horse that it bankrupted the Roman Empire for months. All I can picture is freaking Nandor the Relentless. Oh, yes. With his his horse, Jean. (laughs) (laughs) For those of you listening that have not seen uh, what we do in the shadows. Watch. Very, very, very. But. (laughs) Anyway. No, no. no, My point was, I think that I might be this... this, uh, Patronius? Yeah. Expecto Patronus. Yeah, uh, something like that. Um, Anyways, uh, but one of the things about um, Patronius is he was part of Nero's inner circle. So during all of the parties and orgies and hedonistic lifestyle that Nero involved himself in, this guy Patronius was also involved in that. Who would be my Nero? um, Dave? No, Dave Dave wouldn't give a fuck about a horse. Terry? Terry? Terry would fuck a horse. Give a fuck about a horse. (laughs) <laughs> anyways so Petronius was the first to coin the term lycanthropy having used the term to describe the effects of a plague that was surging across Rome at the time now this plague the way it kind of played out was um, people would be afraid of coming out during the day would be incredibly violent and sore and would howl often at night so towards the moon um, there is a uh, disease, Adam, where the sun is it lupus? No, 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 not no, lupus. no, no, no. But like you know how like if you have lupus, lupus has so many different forms. Yeah, but but there's a kind of lupus where you can't be out in the sunlight, right? Yeah, it's and, it, there, it's it so, is kind of like that. Yeah, and and I'm thinking of the word lupine. Yep, is it like have same my, origins? Yeah, oh, okay, yeah, All right, cool. But um, there is a modern day. We understand it differently, but uh, this this you mentioned it with lupus, but there are other ways, um, other other diseases that do it where you become incredibly sensitive to the rays of the sun to uv light and you actually blister gingivitis yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, something you suffer from a little bit more than i do um but not a, a much. lot more i'm not kidding like can you see i have a faint sun it is it was march and i was getting a sunburn outside. i've gotten a sunburn in perfect shade fully so, covered so if i had a sunburn inside once yeah yeah me too anyways so he coined the term lycanthropy to describe this effect and it kind of stuck there was um, this idea of a creature who would take on this violent animalistic tendency, only be awake during the night. And it kind of rolled on from there, um, into European folklore. And this is where we see a lot of what we see as the werewolves come in and it features prominently in fairy tales, wives tales and whispered horrors lurking deep in the darkest wood. This resulted in the werewolf then being transplanted into the U.S. with several other types of cryptids, which are weird supernatural 
creatures. Yeah. Sasquatch fits in there. The Chupacabra. They're technically... It's, it's non-religious um, magical creatures. Exactly. Um, but this idea of the man being cursed into a beast uh, narrative really began to take to new levels once it came over to the Americas. Um, notable inclusions to all of this are, of course, Bram, Stoker, uh, Bram Stoker's involvement with the werewolf, where he incorporated this ability to shift into a wolf to his vampiric creation, Dracula. Um, that's Dracula. Sorry. Um, because of uh, Stoker's Eastern European upbringing. One thing I noticed as well during this time that... Um, uh, in my research that this was also during the time of the Salem witch trials. Um, during the time of the Salem witch trials, Switzerland was doing its own kind of thing that was not really associated with witches, but was specifically associated with lycanthropes where they were um, finding many farmers, isolationists, people who were overly aggressive and to be historically thorough, those with disabilities, including and specifically those with down syndrome. They were being put to trial and murdered under false claims of lycanthropy. Yikes. Yeah. Now, isolated from all this, back in the Americas, we also had Native American lore, which helped build this level of man being cursed to turn into beast in their spirituality, depending on which tribe and which area you were from. Yeah, I mean... You look at things like the Wendigo, um, which is a hunter who had consumed so much of uh, human flesh that he took on supernatural powers. The Mycob, which were witches, uh, uh, literally in wolf's clothing. Also, you go over to Haiti, where you have the spirits of the red eyes, literally called the Gerouge, which possess the unwitting and force them to turn into lupine cannibals. So, as we could see... This idea of man being cursed to turn into something, being possessed to turn into something bestial and violent, really, really has a strong base. I like werewolves and lycanthropy more than I like vampires. I've said that on the uh, the podcast before. I will state it now. The idea of the werewolf, the lycanthrope, the, uh, and D&D, we get many different flavors of it with the were tigers and were boars and were pigs um, and where ravens and stuff that pop up in some things we we really get a good full flavor of lycanthropes now vampires are typically stronger in DD for some reason um but uh, at least we get this really strong support of lycanthropes but we don't really get a strong presence of ly- lycanthropes yeah okay Be- before we get into that i want to i want to circle back to pop culture for a minute sure so in all of your research so so here's here's what i know okay Lon Chaney, of course, is um, the, the, the uh, wolf were, man. Yeah, the wolf man, yeah. Right. The, he's not the werewolf. He is the wolf, the wolf man. man. yeah. Right. Benicio Del Toro is as well, but that was a terrible remake. We've had a number of really shitty horror movies over the last 30 years. People will yell at me about some of them were good, but if you go back, American Werewolf in Paris doesn't, and London, does, no. they, don't, they don't hold up the same way that you feel like they should. Um, I mean, there's the, what is it, Werewolf versus, or Wolfman versus Frankenstein, right, is another one that doesn't quite, like, it's the, a little campier. The I think Evan Costello met one. There's, I mean, Ginger Snaps. My, they, they do take on this level of comedy. 
to them almost. They do because they're so beastly and you can only tell their story so many times. I mean, even Supernatural and Buffy the Vampire Slayer and stuff that feature werewolves heavily in Fairly them. regularly, yeah. Um, and I mean, and there have been others. I think True Blood and... True Blood has of- it. Um, I mean, they were in Twilight, which I... Of course, don't yeah. want to. But uh, another good one is Underworld. Yeah, like they're they're all over. But how many ways can you tell the story? They're always savage. They're always big and bestial. And they, bestial yeah. They're fast. They're vicious. They're and we see this in pop culture all the time. I'm really happy to see it in other ways because we have seen where Bear, for example, was in The Hobbit. Yep. We've had. I mean, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde is that same story, just different. Yep. So is the Incredible Hulk. The ability to transform into something big and vicious and nasty against your will and you have little to no memory of it afterwards. Uh, or that you have to hide it. You wake up in tattered clothes and yeah. whatnot. This is a constant theme. When we're dealing with um, lycanthropy, the theme here that people will go to is a transformation and the moonlight. And I'm sure you're going to talk about all that shit yep. in a minute here. But the real conversation, the reason that it is so pervasive in our cultures and not just like our culture but across all of these cultures that you've mentioned is the fact that it deals with the base animal urges the nature that is deep within the human soul that we struggle with right they are very much about i I wonder does succubi uh share um origins with lycanthropes or lycanthropes right like if you were to go back far enough, the ideas of these base um, urges and whatnot coming out, we see it everywhere. Yeah. In this ev- loss of control, yeah, yeah. and uh, and sometimes it's revered, and sometimes you tap into it. You mentioned the Native American curses, what like like the Wendigo, but a lot of times they have spirit animals, which could be a wolf that yeah. they embody aspects of the wolf, and it makes them stronger, and more powerful. We see that with druids and and whatnot yep. in the in the game, which is of very different side of the same coin, right? Yeah, very so, much so. So when you're dealing with lycanthropy specifically in your D&D game, it's worth thinking about the themes that you're bringing to the table. And it's not just, there's a murderer, hunt down the werewolf. You can do that at surface level. But I think it's really worthwhile to look into what it means to be of this dual nature. We're going to talk a little bit about shifters and stuff in the next episode, which is the race from Eberron, which are all I beast... Touched, yep. I yep. think they were originally called, but but uh, it's something to to really think about. It's not like vampires. I find the vampires are one note. You know what you're getting into with a vampire. Yeah. But the different kinds of were creatures give you a very different flavor. Yeah. That's why, uh, for those who have been listening to the previous episodes, um, we will see a little bit of a difference in format for the next two, at least, while we cover Lycanthropes, because they are so different that they are a mob, but have some unique aspects you're not going to see them intermixing no you're not going to see except in eberron yeah which has its own unique crazy rules which we'll touch on later anyways um i want to actually get to some of the the what we have in 5e yeah for for the now that we're moving on past the lore except for actually no i want to talk about silver real quick (laughs) okay okay now Silver, when when you talk about lycanthropes, when you talk about the pop culture of it, everyone's all like, just get a silver bullet. We see this in everything. Everything, yeah. right? Do you know why silver, Adam? Um, no. Okay. Well, 
silver, specifically silver, has always been um, had a connotation with the pure and the blessed. Well, okay. yes, I know that it's got I've, but the, spe- the, the forty pieces of silver and whatnot as well. It's got biblical references. It's got biblical references, but uh, because of its uh, um, clarity of a of a metal, even in medieval times, it was ve- seen as a symbol of purity, more so than gold was. Does it not mix with other metals? It does. I think. I, w- sure. I wonder why. I, I wouldn't know off the top of my head. I wonder why it's considered to be so pure. I, I do know that the idea that a vampire's reflection cannot be seen in a mirror is because back then it was silver-backed mirrors. Exactly. Right? Well, so. and, and this this goes hand in hand. Because silver was seen as blessed and pure, um, and lycanthropes, vampires were seen as cursed and vile, they were often already associated with each other for that right yeah and that's just because yeah yeah, and that's just because of superstitions and stuff like that now legends of werewolves being forced back into their human forms because of silver placed on their person or being dispatched with the traditional silver bullet began showing up pre-18th century lore which is um when you were getting those switzerland lycanthropy trials yeah okay now, silver being a mark for purity is a cause for the metal showing up in many different stat blocks as well, from some devils to ghosts and wraiths react to the silver. Uh, silver sometimes, yeah. Um, to our favorite lunar furry boys here. Okay. Let's never call them that again. Well, they don't take additional damage from silver, which I don't like in D&D 5e. They do gain... Uh, damage reduction from non-silvered weapons it's, it's straight up immunity in some cases yes and others no with with that list i had it's it's just a resistance but yeah it, it can be an immunity what when when is it a resistance wraith wraiths it's oh just yeah, yeah, yeah yeah right yeah. i'm talking about like the no ones i mean like yeah. lycanthropes specifically are immune to silver yeah or yeah. to non-silvered uh magical weapons yes now this comes to a head when we play our D where Outside of a campaign where you know you're targeting, or at least a campaign arc where you know you're targeting lycanthropes, silver doesn't have much of a use. And the idea of silver being pure and holy doesn't really make a lot of sense in D&D 5e. So how do you justify the silver to lycanthropes other than that they just don't like it now? Um Okay, do you want to know my, my homebrew Yes, I do. I want to know the homebrew reason. Okay, so I have actually um, three kinds of uh, weapons that you can use. And you probably have heard me say this in my own games, but it, it hasn't. it's never come up. So there, uh, there's silver, and then there is um, uh, wrought iron. Okay. And then there's petrified wood. All three of them are specifically used for magical things. For me, silver is because of the silvery moon, and it's magic. It's just pure magic. Okay. Uh, the moon, it's not in 5th edition. The moon does not, like, trigger the transformation anymore. But it, I... I've... And I fucking hate it. So, I I link them. What? It does in some lore levels, but not mechanically. No, mechanically it doesn't. So, yeah. but, so I link it strongly that way yeah. with, with silver. Um, the cold rot iron... Uh, for me, is the uh, is used against ghosts. I pulled that right out of supernatural. Well, the same place as supernatural pulled it out of, right? Like the the same lore and legends when it comes to in, incorporeal creatures and whatnot. Um, when you hit them, it turns them invisible and they're stunned for a round. So they 
um, essentially go to the ethereal plane. Yeah. And then they come back in a, a round later. So it gives you a reprieve for a moment. Um, and then petrified wood is used specifically for holy symbols and druidic purposes and whatnot. I also have um, like uh, steel wood and things like that, which an iron wood is a common one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So to get druids around their bizarre which limitations. Which is a holdover from previous edition. Yeah, and we're seeing with lycanthropy holdover from previous lore as well, um, much to the downfall of Dungeons and Dragons campaigns, in my opinion. Yeah, right? And, that, and that's kind of where I go with it. So we're muddying the waters quite a bit on, on this already, before we've even jumped into any stat blocks. Yeah. The ones that, that exist uh, in 5th edition lore are when you get cursed by someone who puts a legitimate curse on you, like a hag. Yeah. Then there are those that who are who are bitten. Yep. And then there are those who are bred. Yeah. And you need just a remove curse spell for either of the first two. But if you are true bred, you like need a throw, wish. You need a wish. Yeah. A wish spell to do it right. So that's that's massive. Mm-hmm. Um, we start to see that play out a little bit further down the genealogy with shifters, which again we'll talk about um, next episode. But do you play them differently? The the curse from a hag, for example, versus the bite from a werewolf? Yes. Yeah. I mean, the curse from a hag versus bit is usually a, a victim in a way, right? Um, that is somebody who doesn't understand what they're doing. And you have the option in D&D to be the guy who... Uh, and they, they kind of have some lore around it where if you... You are able to resist the lycanthropy curse. Mm-hmm. Um, not resist it so that you're free of it, but resist it so that you could subdue the urges, right? Those who subdue the urges tend to um, be isolationists because they know if they break their will, they could go, right? My problem with this right off the bat is there's no penalty for doing that. Um, Other than being isolated from society. Yeah, okay. The ranger in the party that got bitten that just said, I'm not going to turn. What the fuck was that? There's not, there's not even a save for that. Yes. Uh, no, I agree with that. There needs to be, if if you infect your player with lycanthropy, there needs to be a save. There, there should be massive penalties but, uh, because they talk about if you accept it, if you embrace the lycanthropy, you... You become a master of the curse and you can shift at will, basically. Yeah, which means that you can't shift at will otherwise. That's implied but not stated anywhere. Yeah. And additionally, your alignment changes. Towards evil. Well, unless you're a werebear or a yeah. were-tiger. Like you, but it shifts to, to whatever it is um, that, that you're shifting into. But does it fucking matter? And should we be should we stick to that? We're going to talk about this later. We're, we I, are going to talk about this later. So there are... It, it's very muddy. It's very strange. I'll tell you this right now. The curse of lycanthropy, for me, is a separate curse. Remove curse does not get rid of it in my world. It, you it need is, remove lycanthropy the spell. And the only people that can do it, the same way that if you get petrified by a Medusa's stare, the Medusa has to set you free. I don't. That's not a death sentence in my in my world. Yeah. Because I don't think that's fair to the players that it's a too safe death. The same thing with lycanthropy, but you need that person to undo that curse, right? And it's ninth level magic. It's a big deal for me. Right. Yeah, I, I wouldn't quite put it up as at height ninth level to to remove a lycanthropy. Curse, I just I it, just don't want greater restoration to fix it or heal. I want it to be. Oh, I, a I wish. mean, yes, no, I, I I I understand wanting it to be difficult to remove, and I agree. 
Greater Restoration, Heal, those higher level spells shouldn't do it. Um, making it its own ritual outside of normal spellcasting is how I would do it because it is going to be one of those types of curses. Right, but that's right? what I'm, that's why I make it ninth level spell. Like, they, your guys can't do it on their own. They need to go then appease the hag or whoever it is that did it and sit there in you know during a weird ritual to undo this magic and she blows a ninth level spell slot. Your guys cannot do this on their own. It's an NPC undo only, and that's plot hook for me. That's why that's why I play it that way. Remove curse is meant for when you got bitten by a werewolf. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that one. I'm I'm with you on that one. So if it's a placed curse, it's it's a big deal. But yeah, if, yeah. Um, depending on the hag, depending on the level of curse, depending on where on this, the campaign on and the, the players, campaign. like. Yeah. But uh, there, there's a lot of asterisks to this. Asterisks, but, but yes, sure. Um, but I, I I do agree that. Like death, lycanthropy is too easy to like typical lycanthropy is too easy to uh, subvert in fifth edition. edition. Yeah. Um, so I would make it a lot more difficult. But um, having some sort of pre-planned, at least as a DM, a pre-planned ritual to break the type of lycanthropy I've infected my party with um, as a campaign arc, then I would much rather do that than just be like, all right, so the the cleric sleeps, and uh, what do you guys want to do next? Exactly right. right. It, it's it's too it's too damn easy. But then again, the way that I do it, it's damn hard. And you need you like it's adventure. It's adventure hook. Like yeah. you're gonna spend three or four sessions. Oh yes, 100%. doing this. But I think it needs to be that the same way that when you when you're dealing with silvered weapons and whatnot, how do you tell your players that they need silver weapons? That's why I just have I always have silver, cold iron, and petrified wood weapons in every weapon uh, like shop ever. Right. One of the previous editions, I think it was 3.5, mithril weapons had the same effect as silvered. Uh, uh, was it mithril? They had another one. There was a fucking dragon steel or something. Yeah, the there's also in 5e the moon-touched weapons. Yeah, that's what it was. That was what it was. And I'm like, what the fuck is... Th-? You know yeah. what? It's too much. It's yeah. too much. But I'm I'm going to say if it, it it's not enough for it to be a silvered weapon. Remember, it's non it, it, they're immune to non-magical silvered weapons. It has to be a magical weapon that and is silver. silver. Yeah. Like, that's intense to do that. And instead of you trying to get, your, you know, a silver arrowhead on your on your magical bow or whatever, I would look at it the other way around. Guys, there's a spell called Ceremony that clerics get where they have a whole bunch of different rituals that oh, they yeah, can do yeah, and whatnot. Yeah. Simply use that to bless silver weapons. Yes, yeah. I like that better because now you're incorporating the divine magic into it, which is we're going back to the idea of this this good versus evil. And can I just say that if you are using the spell like, uh, sorry, ceremony to deal with anything, it is not going to be, a, well, I'm just going to cast ceremony. Here's the effect. No, man, there's there's story to this. I, and again, the NPC is going to be the one that has to do it. It's a specific thing that's not listed I'm under not, ceremony. I, I would say that a player can do it, but there is going to be a lot of uh, ingredients to that recipe outside of, right? Sure. However it is, however you're going to play it, you make it a plot hook, right? Yeah. So um, moving on, I, I do want to say real quick what the the types of lycanthropy are, or so the types of werewolf are that we've we've kind of touched on here. The form specifically. Sure. Each lycanthrope has three distinct forms. Yeah. They have their natural form, which is a uh, basically a slightly bigger, I wouldn't say it's as big as dire, but a, a, uh, a slightly bigger, more feral version 
of the natural animal. So not if, not enough to change their size category, but enough that you can look at it and be like, oh, that one's different. That one's different. Yeah. Now, when it comes to the, uh, changing into the natural form, they still retain a lot of their intellectual abilities. They retain everything except for, I think, size and or AC, depending on which kind of lycanthrope. Exactly. Is. Right. So um, you will a a you might see just a normal bear, but this thing's planning. This thing has intelligence. It has strategy to it so just so you guys know the second form um is their straight up humanoid form now their humanoid form has some um slight characteristics of their where bears a werebear man has a hairy chest right? right um maybe a darkened nose that is always a little moist or something like that right like yeah a were rat's gonna have big front teeth yeah um you'll be able uh, a were boar is going to have tusks but as for the most part would you give the human tusks i would give them like tiny tusks not half orc tusks but tusks i wouldn't even give them tusks i would just describe them as snorting right like they just have like weird breathing as they're as they're moving around and they eat messily yeah right right like the 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 traits don't necessarily have to be purely physical physical, it can be behavioral traits behavioral as as well now um, those who master their lycanthropy can uh, can have this thing called the hybrid form. And the hybrid form is where the uh, all of the benefits of the two kind of meld together and they become the distinct were creature we are used to now. The wolf man. The wolf man, the bear, the, like the were bear, the, the sniveling were rat that looks like a bipedal animal that is wielding a weapon and wearing armor, right? Um, now... The way you can change from form to form in D&D 5e is... Burn an action. Burn an action. You could do it, right? That's what it says is the monsters. There is lore saying that there are some who have the curse that have resisted it that are still drawn by the full moon to change without a save. They just have to, right? The power of the full moon is too great for them to resist it. However they still feel the draw to change on every other night. They are just able to resist it. So I'm going to pause you here. When we're dealing with players who have been cursed with lycanthropy, because that's, yeah. as a DM listening to this, that's that's what I'm looking for, right? Yeah. How can I curse my players with this? I want to have this as a plot hook to either have them embrace it or be, you know, at the whim of this curse. So how do I do this? I will tell you right now, I'm going to have to come up with my own rules. Yep. If they don't embrace it, then I'm going to sit there and say, all right, are you getting angry? Is your adrenaline up? When you enter combat, you need to make a save. Okay. Because you are keeping that. And it depends on what it is. Werewolf, boar. when they enter combat, they're going to need to make a save. Yeah. Right? But for a werebear, it would be when they get angry. And the same thing for a tiger. A rat would be when they get scared. Yeah. Right? So for each one, depending on the kind of, of lycanthrope that they are, I would have there be a different triggering effect but the saves will always be roughly the same and it will be whatever the dc is depending on what level that like what uh tier they're in right yeah yeah. but it's always for me going to be a charisma save because every time that you are put to sleep or you have polymorph or any of that it's always a charisma save right it's your force of will Mm -hmm. and uh followed by a constitution save and the constitution save has got to be harder Probably or probably the same, but with disadvantage if you failed the charisma. Okay. So if you can just will yourself to stay calm and not be upset, 
You did it. Okay, no problem. This is really cool because then you get like your bard carrying around calm emotions just in case you lose control. Your party knows. Yeah. Right? And it's it's not a freaking curse. But remember, you did not master it, which means you do not get to go to hybrid form. You become wolf or bear. Yeah. And you drop all your items when you do it. Yeah. Um... Poof, you're a rat. That being said, if it is one of these things and the player is really interested in progressing and mastering it and, and stuff and has to fight this urge um, and wants to make that a key component of the character moving forward, work with your uh, player, work with your DM to try to figure out how to make that work. Yeah, right? and and, honest- and choose the campaign, right? If you're doing like an aquatic campaign, chances are you're not going to do so well as a wereboard. Wait for the next character. Sure. Um I am going to also remind you, though, that even when you get turned into a rat against your will, you're still intelligent. You have all of your stats. Yep. You're, can you cast spells? You can't when you're polymorphed. It doesn't say you can't. I'm going to say that if you... The answer for me is no, right? You do not have the somatic or the um, the language capability the to do it. The thing is, it does say when you change your form... Your statistics, other than just your size or ace and AC, are the same in each form. Right, so, but your actions and your traits are not. I died. Uh, no, specifically they're not. Because when you actually look at what the stat blocks are, you do not get some things. Like, for example, werewolf has pack tactics. Or a wolf does. A werewolf does not gain that when they become a wolf. Oh. So traits and actions are different. You cannot swing a great axe as a brown bear. No, I yes, I mean, which, with there, there's going to be some physical limitations there. Yes, which means but, you can't use I, materials, you can't speak. It says directly you cannot speak, so there's no verbal components, and you can't do somatic movements with fingers and whatnot. Even um, if you've got grizzly bear paws, right? Like, I'm I'm sorry, the answer is no on that for me. You cannot cast spells unless there is literally no component. So if you've got some meta magic that that you can use to make it so that. You don't need the verbal component, and it's the only component listed for the spell. Sure, I'll let you get it off, right? But for the most part, no, you can't cast spells. I'm sorry. In your natural form? In your natural form. The other thing, too, is that if you're in an anti-magic field, that curse isn't there. Really? It's magic. I'm, I'm sorry. It's just, it's just it's magic. It's a ninth level. For me, it's ninth level curse, right? Even yeah, okay, it's most yeah, powerful, yeah, right? No. So. My, I don't know, man. Like I, I place a lot of divinity level stuff like god level magic to lycanthropy curses look vampires vampires alone are cr13 the highest we get out of this is cr5 yeah lycanthropes are bitches they just are by the time that you're in done dirty though they have been and i don't like it it's why i'm making everything harder and i'm I'm, yeah i'm looking at it from more of a plot hook perspective i just i don't know i'm not i'm not thrilled with how fifth edition has has handled where creatures at all but that's true of of all of dnd i haven't liked it in any edition they're always low level mob which is weird to me yeah i get you um now the one thing we have uh talked about and since we're talking about traits i want to bring this up now non-human lycanthropes specifically non-human any intelligent humanoid can be a lycanthrope it it does not pick and choose across the board there um, Does it have to be a humanoid? Can your dog get bitten? And- it has to be a humanoid. Okay. Okay. Now, um, when it comes to the stats based in the book, there's a little blurb there next to Gaston and the Beast fighting. Yeah. In the Monster Manual. Yeah. Yeah. Which, it's Gaston and the Beast. Of course it is. Of course, right? Um, 
I'm the beauty. No, you're not. You're the annoying candle. Because you light up in sunlight because you're a ginger. So anyways, the stats... <laughs> I just get death glared. Holy shit. <laughs> Maybe you're the annoying clock guy. Or are you the wardrobe? I just hate that you don't know their names, you motherfucker. Keep going. <laughs> Trying to remember their names. Anyways. Lumiere and Cogsworth, you piece of shit. Okay, cool. You have daughters. How do you... I, keep going. Keep going. Um. So, the to represent a non-human-like anthrope, the stats given in the book represent purely human. So, it does say you can add um, some of these more racial traits, traits yeah. to these. So, if you have an elven bear, give it fey ancestry, right? And that, as a DM, is your you gotta kind of figure out what you're doing there because the chances of you, like, if you give a werebear the half orc ability to stand back up after you've taken damage, you know, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. But this is how I get around my my non-human player characters getting these things right. Yeah. They get to maintain all of their racial traits that they have. Like the ability to get back up and yeah. shit like that. There's actually, in, in I, I've been doing a lot of straight up campaign world building recently. Um, mainly because I started DMing uh, a world, uh, sorry, a campaign in my own little homebrew world. Um, and gallivanting in the area where my players are right now is a small tribe of orcs who are all werebores. Oh, so, so it's orcs and porks? Is that what it is? I mean, pigs and orcs are closely associated anyways. Well, they totally we, are. The, yeah. or, the original design of orcs Pigman. were... Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which is horribly insensitive thing to talk about now. When We talk, we cover that in the orc episode. Yeah. So, anyways, uh, moving on, we do want to take care of and, and cover our most important um, and the, the poster boy of lycanthropy, the werewolf. Now, we've talked to Brad... Brad is out there, and he is still in the yawning portal, still talking to Dernan, and he's got some points about werewolves to make. Thanks, Dan and Adam. Well, I've been talking to Dernan, and I think we're coming up with a plan for me to potentially uh, pay off some of my debts here by taking a delve with some adventures down into the dungeon of the Mad Mage. Now, in an attempt to scare me off, and as we always are placing bets around here on adventures going in and out, Dernan has uh, so kindly shared with me a story of a few people who've come out infected by lycanthropy, which seems fitting given the topic of the week. Um, but I'm not here necessarily to talk to you about lycanthropy in general. I'm here to talk to you about a specific lycanthrope. And we're talking about the werewolf today. Now, in most of pop culture, I would consider the werewolf to be the prime example of a lycanthrope. This would be the one that, if you were to ask anybody about lycanthropy, they would just assume that it only applies to werewolves. D&D is another story. Uh, here in this world, werewolfism is just another, as a specific form of lycanthropy. Not even necessarily the most common. You may run into it more in campaigns and things like that because it's what people are comfortable with but honestly there's no reason for these to be any more common than any other set of, sort of lycanthrope so let's talk about the werewolf specific and how it's different from other lycanthropes so werewolves they tend to take on the aspect like all lycanthropes they take on the aspect of the animal or the lycanthrope that they were infected by so werewolves tend to resemble a wolf uh both in look but also in mannerisms they're going to be savage they're going to be temperamental they're going to have heightened senses um they actually kind of prefer to eat rarer meat so if somebody's in a human form eating you know a rare their meat rare that might be nothing but it also might be something to watch out for if they like their meat a little bloodier it might be a sign that uh, you're dealing with a lycanthrope 
specifically a werewolf. Uh, by looking at them, they can take on the form of a humanoid, so their original form. They can take on the form of a wolf, or they can take on a hybrid form. So in their hybrid form, they're going to look like a pretty jacked uh, wolf, basically. A bipedal wolf with six-pack abs, I think is a good way to describe it. Um, these things are going to be well-muscled, well-toned. Uh, they're going to have the head of a wolf, but a furry body like that of a humanoid. Um, in that humanoid, or in that hybrid form rather, they can wield weapons uh, just like their humanoid form. Uh, they generally don't tend to want to do that, but they can. Uh, so let's dig into the actual stat block for a werewolf. Uh, werewolves check in at a CR of 3. Uh, they have a armor class of 11. They average 58 hit points, which is 98 plus 18. They have a 30-foot movement speed in hybrid form, which surprised me. I thought they would get a little bit of a boost in speed. They don't. They only get the boost in speed when they're in their wolf form. Uh, they do have a high strength. They have a decent dex. We'll get to some of that in a bit. Uh, their constitution is good. Their intelligence is that of an average human. They have an average wisdom and average charisma. Uh, so pretty average across the board with a decent boost in strength and con and a slight boost to their decks. They're skilled in perception and stealth, which makes sense. And interesting immunities here. So they are completely immune to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing from non-magical attacks that aren't silvered. So this is your standard lycanthrope can't be harmed unless it's a silvered weapon or magic in this case uh they have a passive perception of 14 so they're gonna sense you that makes sense for something that has ties to wolf um they have the ability shape changer so they can at any point interesting here in the stat block it doesn't say about how often they can do this but they can use an action to polymorph into the hybrid form the wolf form or back to its true form which is its humanoid form um all of the statistics are exactly the same in every single form except for it's a c so it's AC in wolf form will drop to that of a wolf, which we'll cover in a little bit. And uh, in humanoid form, they have an AC of 11 and then a 12 in wolf or hybrid form. They also have the ability keen hearing and smell, which they share with the wolf. Basically, they get advantage on any whiz perception check that relies on hearing or smell. As far as actions, they get in a multi-attack uh, in their humanoid or hybrid wolf form. In this case, they can make two attacks, one with a spear if it's in humanoid form, or a bite and its claws in hybrid form. So kind of make two attacks with a spear in humanoid form, or one with the bite and one with the claws in hybrid. So the bite, which they can make in hybrid form or wolf form, uh, they get a plus four to hit, dealing an average of six damage, 1d8 plus two, adds piercing damage. And if they attack a humanoid and succeed with the bite, you'll have to make a DC 12 constitution saving throw or you will be cursed with lycanthropy yourself. They can make a claw attack. Now, with the claw attack, they have a plus four to hit. This is only in the hybrid form, mind you. They have a plus four to hit and it averages uh, seven damage, 2d4 plus two. This does not inflict lycanthropy. It is only through the bite attack that they can inflict it. And as I mentioned earlier, if they're in their humanoid form, they will have a spear. Uh, with the spear, they have a plus four to hit again, and dealing an average of five damage, 1d6 plus two. Or if they want to, it is a versatile weapon as a spear, so they can do two-handed damage for 1d8 plus two, an average of six damage. Now let's compare the werewolf stat block to the wolf stat block and see if we can draw any parallels. When we look at the wolf, wolf has an AC of 13, which is exact, uh, which is actually higher than they have in a werewolf. So by becoming a werewolf versus just a standard wolf, you actually have a lower AC, which is interesting. Uh, hit points are obviously much beefier for the werewolf. Uh, the wolf only uh, hit points of 11 hit points, 2d8 plus 2. But the wolf has a higher base speed. That said, when in wolf form, the werewolf 
will have the 40-foot movement of a standard wolf. So the stat blocks are actually somewhat close. There's a hit to strength for the wolf, right? The werewolf is going to have a higher strength. Interestingly enough, you actually have a full one-point bonus worth of dex on the regular wolf, standard wolf, over the werewolf, which is interesting. Um, you actually are more dexterous as a wolf than you are as a werewolf. And that includes in wolf form as a werewolf, so keep that in mind. Uh, constitution is a little bit lower for the standard wolf. Intellect is obviously much, much lower. They're not intelligent. They are uh, slightly higher wisdom as a standard wolf over the werewolf, uh, but obviously lower charisma as well being a pack animal. Uh, the standard wolf has its keen hearing and smell. This is obviously where the werewolf gets this ability from. Uh, where standard wolves obviously have pack tactics. You're not going to have that as a werewolf. Uh, lycanthropes don't tend to travel in groups the same way as a pack of wolves would. And the were uh, the standard wolf has a bite attack that does slightly less damage. Uh, same ability to hit, but the damage, potentially their max damage is actually the same, but on average they'll be about one point lower per bite than your standard uh, werewolf bite attack. That said, instead of lycanthropy, the wolf is able to actually knock you prone with its bite attack. The idea of it pouncing onto your chest, pinning you down, and biting you. Um, so yeah, you actually have to make a strength check to stay on your feet. So we look at this, and we see the werewolf is actually generally a very powerful creature, but there's some things it actually loses from its wolf ancestry by becoming a werewolf, which is really interesting. I don't know if I would want to maybe use the standard wolf uh, stat block for a werewolf who chooses to take on the wolf form. I'm sure they've balanced it for a reason, but I don't know, I kind of like the idea of taking a standard wolf form. I mean, there's one more stat block to manage, but that being said, I can see it working. So with werewolves being the most common, I don't think I need to really, in our pop culture anyways, I don't see the need to really break it down um, too far. Werewolves are fascinating creatures. That said, they're kind of plain, especially in a world in D&D where you can pull out so many different varieties of lycanthrope. Pulling on the werewolf feels a little, I don't know, basic. Um, I'd be a little more inclined to pull into other things. But that being said, there's a lot of interesting aspects to play with with lycanthropy, right? We have discussed, I'm sure Dan and Adam mentioned the fact that uh, when you're infected with lycanthropy, you can embrace it or you can try and fight it. So there's a lot of roleplay promise in that. Uh, to be using them as a DM, definitely lean in on the fact that they can take on this humanoid form and put out little teasers for the party. Little signs that might show the party that, hey, there's something a little off here. Specifically with the desire to eat red meat. Being a little bit of a short temper. Um, kind of play into those things. It may be nothing. Like, put it into a couple of NPCs, but maybe only one of them is actually infected with lycanthropy. Maybe you have a whole town infected with lycanthropy. And this whole town kind of lives in this sense of they all know what's going on, but any visitors who come in are potential prey. Um, in that case, I think actually if I was to play with a village full of NPCs infected with lycanthropy, I think I actually would give them pack tactics. I know it could uh, definitely up the CR and the challenge of it, but it seems to flavorfully fit, especially if they are in their hybrid or their wolf form. Uh, I like the idea that they're carrying spears. Obviously, if you have a bunch of them, like an infected town, you're going to want to mix it up a bit. Maybe give them a bow, give them a few other options. I think this is a really nice, decent stat block, but beware when you do start to mess with the stat block, you are going to affect the uh, challenge rating. So be careful with that. Anyways, I'm going to get back to work. I still have some bills to pay off here, and I'm going to see if I can find a party that's willing to take me down into the Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Uh, try and pay off some of these bills. Anyways, if you want to reach out, you can catch me on Instagram at Clueless Game Master or reach out on the subreddit. I'd love to hear from you. Well, back to the Guildhouse, Adam and Dan. All right, so I said before the vampires are CR 13 and werewolves, of course, are CR 3, which is just 
bullshit. To it's me. bullshit. Yeah. They should be at least CR eight in my head. Do you bump up the ferocity? One hundred percent. How do you do that? Um, I give them more than their max hit points. Yeah, I I, I increase like, their freaking AC as well. They get that ninety eight plus eighteen. I would jump that to like ninety twelve plus eighteen, and then I would maximize it. Yeah, and frankly, I'm giving them two claw attacks. Like their multi attack is getting beefed up with their bite. So two claws and a bite. They're gonna move at forty or fifty even feet yeah. around. They're gonna go fast. The fact that they only go forty is weird when they're in wolf form. And only in wolf form. Their hybrid goes thirty, as Brad pointed out, which is shit. No, man. I I am a massive fan of the Underworld series. Terry and I share that because of how they handle lycanthropes in that movie. The name aside, the name's bullshit, figure it out, writers. But um, the um, the way they handle them, where even in their humanoid forms, they have a little bit of extra boost and they are just monstrous in their wolf forms, um, I would embrace that a little bit more. They also, only being medium doesn't make sense to me. I would love to see a hybrid werewolf be large. That, yeah, I like that. I yeah. like that quite a bit. I Frankly, they should be. Yeah. Uh, How right. else would you add some ferocity to these guys? Um, honestly, uh, it's it's going to be their attacks. I don't need them to do more damage. I just need them to do more attacks. I also want them to run. I yeah. want I want to fly by. I'm going to say that repeatedly in this episode. Would Would you give them a uh, disengage as a bonus action? No, straight up fly by. Like the, as a trait, they do not take opportunity attacks. Okay. Hard, hard stop. There it is. I'm just going to give it to them because that is how fast they're. I'm going to give them 50 feet of movement. Yeah. But, but how it, high would you bump the CR on these guys then? Eight. Make them in a CR eight? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and so for those of you that are paying attention, that is going to be the con is plus two. So that's going to be plus 16 and it's going to be... Um, no, no, it's going to be 16 plus three. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, not plus 16. Not plus 16, Adam. No, no, no. So, um, no, I, I'm just going to bust the math out for, for it. Their AC sucks. But I think they should get hit because it doesn't matter if they do. I think these guys are just fine at CR3 as the minions of like the alpha wolf kind of deal where you bust out the big one if you want to go in that path. By the but, time that they get the appropriate weapons, these things are already dead. Yeah, that's 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 fair the enough. The action economy works against them. Boosting it, would you boost that con save as well? I mean, it's a con 12. Oh, for to turn into a to turn into a lycanthrope. Absolutely, there should be nothing below a fifteen for any of this. I, I agree. I dislike that it's the one save and done. Ah, uh, no, I'm fine with that. I, honestly, I'm fine with that. I also think that they shouldn't have to like turn immediately into a werewolf once they get that con save should happen when they go for a long rest. Um, yes, I no, I 100% agree that it should happen when they go for a long rest because it doesn't say you are immune to it. After you make a successful save. Yeah. So every single time you're hit, you have to make a save. You're going to get it eventually if it hits you enough. Yeah. I, so I, I think that when you go down or the next time there's a full moon, the DM who has tracked how many times you got bitten says, all right, give me uh, seven con saves, please. Yeah. I'm, I'm not okay with that. I, I want just the one because you, you're not getting super herpes. You're just getting... No, no, no. But you got bit over and over and over and over and over again. You have to... In- I, I would take each uh, each each time you got bit, maybe make the DC a little harder, but I would only make a one roll. Rolling seven dice. I mean, come on. You don't that that that's that, just But that's the way that it is right now. I know. When you I, when you get bitten, every time you get bitten, you have to make a save. I would just do it later. 
I would make it one roll for each bite. Uh, sorry, one uh, so one roll for all of the bites together. Just the amount of times you got bit. I'd have a little chart next to me as I'm DMing to record. Okay, you got bit oh, so three plus, times. Plus two so every would, time? Uh, well, plus one every time, depending on how many times you get bit. Well, see, I think that you're doing... I think but you're I'm, like, I'm, I'm, starting, I'm starting that baseline higher. Right, I'm starting that, that baseline that, at like a 16. That doesn't matter, man. You got bit by a werewolf three fucking times. They took chunks out of you. That and makes it's that a, a DC 19 to hit. 18, but still, like, no, I don't. That that's nothing. I that's you're doing them dirty. Sorry, that's a DC 17 because the first one is 15, then 16, then 17. That's nothing. They're shrugging that off 20 percent of the time, right? I, I I don't I don't like it. It's not good enough for me. If we're going to have a werewolf campaign. They have to be the center of the campaign. So considering that this that we're going to have the one werewolf against the party of five players, it's going to attack probably two of them before they knock it down or it runs away, which means only two of them are going to make this save. Okay. And if they both pass it because they got a paladin in the group, then who gives I, a shit, right? I, I, why, why do I bother? I'm okay with hitting it a little lower for, um, for the reason that it is a save and, or suck, right? Like it, but it's not, it's not save or suck. It's save, and then you can make the choice whether or not to embrace it or not. And if you and if you don't, then you will have a save to do the next time. That in uh, you know that it's in seventeen days is the next full moon, right? So like, there's a whole bunch of shit. There's rituals to undo it. It's not. This is not suddenly you are banished to the Shadowfell and you can't come back. This is just you put a little asterisk beside your freaking race now and say, okay, I'm also cursed with lycanthropy. There's nothing wrong with me whatsoever. The DM is going to an eight day say, you get keen senses for smell now. And that's it. What's the harm in getting, like, there is no downside to getting bitten. Mechanically, no. But at the same time, role-playing wise, there has to be an effect. Most players are not going to want to play a negative flaw that they got cursed with because their AC wasn't high enough. That is why I would make that DC a little bit lower. No, that's why I'm going to make it a whole lot higher because I want them to get hit with that because I'm giving them mechanical things and not role play things. We're we're, I think we're coming at this from two different directions. I yeah, we absolutely are. I want there to be worse mechanics. I want you to suffer when you get hit by this. Yeah. Whereas I don't want to impose this on somebody who doesn't who it it, it will ruin the game for them if they got it. Right. Frankly, if you are a good DM and you have talked with your players ahead of time and you say, hey, you know what? There's a wolf man walking around here. There were silver weapons in the shop. Everyone's going to sit back and go, oh, this is the campaign we're in for. And you'll be able to judge the reactions of the people. So you as a DM are going to oh, know yeah, which no, one to do attack. It, do it smartly. Right. right? So but... so I have no problem. Dan, I would hit you with this shit nine times out of ten. Absolutely. Yes, but not because I want the mechanical, but because I would embrace the role play. Yeah, but I'd also hit you with the mechanical too because I like to make you swarm. Yeah, you do. Anyways, moving on. So we saw that Brad pointed out that the wolves have an AC of 13, uh, but werewolves have an AC of 12 when they're in their wolf form. They are easier to hit in their wolf form than normal wolves are. It's obviously because the wolf stat block has a higher dex. Um, How does this sit with you? I hate it. I just hate it. Just give them the freaking 13. Just give them... I don't... It's one point, right? Yeah, like... it. I don't know why they would do this, why they would make the werewolf wolf lesser, even though it's a bigger creature. I think they balance it because it's stronger. The werewolf's got a different strength thing, a uh, different strength scale than the normal wolf does. So it's a little slower, a little bigger, but it, it hits harder. 
I just think that the form. natural armor of a werewolf should be higher than of a wolf. I completely agree with you in that respect, but the 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 fact that the the dex drops for a higher I don't care like about that. I, I don't care about the dex. It's no, the AC. It's the AC. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't care. I'm we're in the same boat on that one. Yeah. Okay. So also the wolf has pack tactics and the ability to knock a creature prone with its bite, but the werewolf doesn't. Do you like that? Bullshit. It's bullshit, man. Why would a werewolf have different tactics than a wolf? Well, werewolves tend to be more singular. They can operate in a pack, but that's awfully Twilight or or Underworld. The Wolfman was a solo curse. If you're doing it Jekyll and Hyde style, there's no reason it would have pack tactics. But the ability the ability to knock prone, I would keep in. I yeah, I absolutely the ability to knock prone, yes. The pack tactics, I'm not even if it's traveling in a pack. These guys are big brutes that are able to mm-hmm. like dish out damage. They don't need to rely on advantage to hit. Also, the moment that you add that with three werewolves that need special weapons to hurt them, and they've got these piles of hit points, it, this, they go from a CR3 to a CR5 when you start to include pack tactics and whatnot. So, I don't know. Um, but, I, but I have a question. Dex and strength and shit aside, yeah. AC and whatnot, the wisdom score. This is something that's weird. It is weird. It's a little... Everyone's going to overlook this, but it it pissed me off. Wolves have higher wisdom than werewolves. Is this because, in your opinion, that they've got, like, a werewolf has a more chaotic energy than an unaligned wolf, and therefore it has less wisdom? Or is this based on the idea of wolves being more naturally aware of their surroundings? Is this wisdom being the awareness stat kicking in? Why do you think they did this? Or is this just a mistake? I honestly think it's just a mistake because you give werewolves keen senses. If, if, if you can explain the lower wisdom by saying that a normal wolf is more aware of its surroundings, then why give the werewolf keen senses other than to have that moment where he sniffs your party out? Nah, man, I'm, I think it, 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 I think it's a mistake. That, I, it doesn't apply. Every lycanthrope has the keen senses, so it doesn't apply that they are hunters, right? So yeah. they all have the keen hearing and, and smell, right? So I don't, I yeah, I don't know why. Is it because the wolf blood is tainted with human, and therefore is lesser? Yeah, I'm, I might go in that direction. Like I'm just trying to figure out from a design perspective. It, like I say, it's just not going to matter for most people. I think it's them trying to justify CR three. They don't want to give them too many bonuses, bonuses to be higher than a CR three. Fair enough. Anyways, um, now when your player becomes a uh, werewolf. It says in the monster manual that a player can bump their strength to 15 if it isn't that high already. They also get a plus one to AC when they're in their wolf or hybrid form, assuming they accept the changes, right? Attack and damage rolls for the natural attacks are strength-based and notice that the boost to strength doesn't specify which form. So you even, you get, you just become a buffer half-elf. Yeah, right? Um, if the character embraces their lycanthropy, Hard change, you are chaotic evil. Yes, by rules as written. By rules as written. Um, I'm going to make that a very general, like, a few days pass and you slip one one alignment um, point over towards chaotic evil. Yeah. Um, unless you embrace it, you know, but. Uh, I don't like the forced alignment change, especially since 5e has kind of really relaxed its grip on alignment. I would like it to be a aspect that the party has to fight over, or rather, or has to fight with. Okay, look, either you embrace it and you become chaotic evil, or you resist it and you got to make the saves and you are chaotic evil while you are a werewolf. Yeah. And you're normal when you're not. 
if I'm going to do it their way, though, I the standard way that it's because it's poorly defined. Yep. Then I would do it one step at a time and let the player adjust to it over a handful of sessions and whatnot. Would you ever let there be a without saves going forward? Good werewolf player. No. 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 And I mean, if they're resisting it, sure, absolutely. And then, but even in their werewolf form. Like in their hybrid form. Well, it's like, okay, here's the thing. If they, and, and here's the next thing to bring up. If they end up trying to resist it and they fucking fail, do you let them control their character? No, man. I I, I, I take their character sheet at that point. So do I. And I run it as a werewolf until dawn. Yeah. At which point the players have to figure out what the fuck to do and everyone else. And that player's just like, I, please leave the room. Go enjoy the chips and drinks in the other room. Uh, we'll let or you know what happens. Or just sit down and be quiet. No, no, no. I want you to come back and say... What happened when you wake up the next day? You wake up in chains. You have to sit out about 10 minutes out of a session, right? Because you got cursed by lycanthropy. And so, no, you, you wake up and you're good. And part of the problem now is that this is a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It's the Bruce Banner versus the Hulk, yeah, right? I, I really like oh, that. God, what did I do? Uh, I I would like for them to have a, or at least this is just coming to my head now as I think about it, the idea of, if they do finally accept their fate and gain mastery over the lycanthropy, you start a chaotic evil, but just because you're chaotic evil doesn't mean you don't want to get better, right? Um, and I would have your character at that point try to have a redemption arc of some kind. Uh, that's campaign spanning, though. That's can- oh, 100% is campaign spanning, but your character, and this is would be with a discussion with the player, of course, right? Because if you go from a lawful good elven paladin to a chaotic evil werewolf. I don't know, man. That's called drama. I'm like, there it no, is. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. yes. But I could, I could see a lot of players going, I wanted to play this lawful good paladin. I really want to play this lawful good paladin. I like the story that we've built around this lawful good paladin. How do I reattain lawful goodness, right? Deny would, the lycanthropy. Yeah. That's how you do it. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to let you regain your, your alignment. If you want to maintain that, because this is a life-altering thing, give them the dilemma. You can, once every eight or nine sessions, have to sit out a combat round. Or you can maintain control and get all of these really cool things. And and the enemies need to have magical shit to hit you and regular swords. And you can get all of that, all those bonuses and boons and everything else. Which, by the way, player characters don't get that immunity to silver rules as written. Mm -hmm. Which, the fuck is that about? Yeah. Right, and I just hate the fact well, that's a balanced thing that they put in. That's the reason, but it's yeah, it's fucking stupid. Yeah, and also the fact that I don't like the it gets bumped to fifteen unless they're already stronger. No man, just just bump it plus two. Yeah, or plus one, whatever. Just give them the barbarian. What happens if you're a barbarian? Like you already have twenty strength, and now give them twenty one. Yeah, I'll push you above twenty for this. You got a freaking lycanthropy curse. Yeah, go nuts. All right, Adam. So. uh Werewolves being so, uh, or sorry, lycanthropes being so kind of grouped amongst themselves. Uh, let's grab the dice. Let's roll. I want to know how you build a mob of werewolves. Sure. Got a four. I got a nine. All right. So wh- I'm going to start with social structure. For, okay, sure. For werewolves. They don't mix with others. They just don't. When you go to places like Eberron or you're going to have these guys as henchmen, they've embraced it and whatnot. And so there's just a bunch of werewolves around. I can see them hanging out with werebores. Ah. If a hag is just cursing people left, right, and center and making them henchmen, or she says, hey, I want my henchmen to be beefier. I'm going to give them lycanthropy. 
then I can see them relying on werewolves and boars. I can see them mixing and matching a little bit, but that's it. I, I'm not mixing and matching with anything else. Werewolves are often included in like allies for gnolls and shit as well, and I just don't like it. No. Hyenas and wolves are not the same. Uh, that, that's just that's just hey, let's put our dog-like things together. Yeah, so it, I, it's it's like giving lizard folk draconic. Like fucking why? Yeah, because it has scales doesn't mean it's the same. Yeah, uh, so honestly, these guys are going to build a pack. If they embrace it, they'll build a pack. Yeah. If they're henchmen, they will stay as henchmen, but brute guards and and hunting around the area for intruders and whatnot. They're not going to be your basic foot soldiers. They are going to be unique. Mm-hmm. You're never going to run into an army of werewolves, despite what Curse of Strahd is going to tell you, right? And I don't think a pack is ever going to get above probably a dozen, unless it's wildly out of control and it's been that way for generations. And now it's a good size pack of 25. Yeah, okay. But I would say 40. If you've got four generations of werewolves that are breeding true, sure, man, give them a pack of 40, but they they roam the mountainside, right? Like, th- this is not a, they live in a village and they weave baskets and shit. <sighs> not if they have embraced it. They are feral creatures. If they've resisted it, that's a different story. Then they're probably not in a community of werewolves. I don't know. I, I like the idea of there being a community of werewolves within a town um, that I guess they are still resisting it. And, and, that, and, and that's it. So yeah. they're not going to be infecting other if people. If they're embracing it, then then you have a singular werewolf who is in a town who is has embraced it and is out at night to cause chaos and murder and then is walking around through the day reveling in the chaos he caused. Yep. Or you've got the ones that have... Uh, you know, they're resisting it, and so they remove themselves. And there's, you know, out in the in the back 40 out there, there is a little hut where four people live. They're not related to each other. It's our leper colony. It's just lycanthropy. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we know when the full moon is coming that we go chain them all down. And that is a part of this. But they're not a part of the community. No. They're not no. a mob by any means. If you want a werewolf mob, they've got to be feral. And they've got to be out in the wilderness and they've got to be decimating the deer population. The only thing I would give them outside of other werewolves is wolves themselves. Yeah, um, yeah and, I'll give you that. And, and, and that's just, they are the alpha of their pack, right? And and that's that's as far as you need to go into it. Um, as, a, as a werewolf in that kind of situation, though, that is someone who's accepted their fate and has embraced the, the brutality and the savagery of being a werewolf, and they are in their hybrid form primarily. I would say that occasionally you will have one person from the pack who will turn into their humanoid form and go into town, grab some necessary supplies, make sure that no one is hunting them, and then... Or even try to, like, deflect as an NPC to, like, deflect the party away from the the where the werewolves are yeah like if you have a campaign arc where it's it is just you're hunting a werewolf pack down you'll have that one npc who's super helpful and leads you in another direction for them to ambush you and kill you oh and uh, like possibly turn some of you remember they're not dumb no they can turn into humans whenever they want um what about an encounter for these guys i don't know man it's pretty straightforward i think we just listed out a whole bunch of them right so Uh, yeah yeah um and the social encounters are pretty straightforward too they're either going to Plead for help, want to stay away from everybody, or try to deceive you, depending on whether or not they've embraced it. There's- these these guys are going to... This is the realm where you embrace tropes. When you're playing werewolves, embrace the trope and embrace the savagery of them. 
I'm going to give you this though. Here's a fun social encounter. You know how everybody like, oh, I I'm an orphan because I don't want the DM to kill my fucking wife and kids and yep. all that shit. Don't kill them. DMs make them werewolves. Oh. So they're still there and they're trying to resist it, but then their cousin gives in. And now the family is a is a, you know it outcasts from you got to go cure them. That's a plot hook. We were having a family reunion at a water deep and well we all broke bad, rawr. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of. <laughs> all right, so we are going to move on to a commercial break now before we break down the other types of lycanthropes we have in D&D 5e. Hello, lovely listeners. Or as I like to call you all, my NPCs. Damn it, we're recording a commercial. Right. <clears throat> For those of you who aren't aware, we're currently in the middle of a massive project called The Many Roads to Amelia, where we're continuing our Call of Cthulhu series. Adam has been working tirelessly with a number of people to bring different kind of actual play to you guys. Or NPCs. Stop that. No. Oh. As I was saying, from October 2020 to October 2021... That's 13 months. On the 13th of each month, we'll be releasing a single episode of our homebrew saga that lays the groundwork for our next miniseries. Adam has taken over as the keeper of arcane secrets, allowing me to join all the other players on this bizarre and horrifying ride that Adam's twisted mind has come up with. But... Here's the fun part. Each of these episodes is a one-shot with only a single player. I've massaged the rules to make it a little deadlier and secretly worked with each player to craft each separate story to be radically different in plot, theme, pace, and tone. That means that the players have no idea what the others are up to or what parts of the clues or overarching story the others may know. We're not even allowed to listen to the episodes as they get released, so we'll be going into the next miniseries completely blind. This is exciting because it gives us the unique opportunity for attentive listeners like yourselves to actually know more about what's going on than the players do. That means that you can sit by and listen to all the voices from the Deep Dark of Radiance return, mostly with new characters, and you might be able to put the pieces together in ways that the players won't. Also, there's the threat that if our character dies or goes insane in our one-shot, we won't be invited back for the next series. That's keeping us paranoid, curious, and sometimes reckless and desperate. So, tune in every month to listen to me and either Dan, Terry, Dave, Megan, or Mieka, or Brad, or the five new voices, as we whittle down the list of survivors and take a look at what mysteries and horrors are slowly unfolding in Northern Canada, Southern America, and subterranean Egypt. (laughs) There are many roads to Amelia, and you are invited to walk them all with me over the next year. Just check the It's a Mimic feed on your favorite podcast provider for a new episode on the night of the 13th each month. Until then, let's jump back into the episode. So, uh, can you give me a hint because I'm recording this commercial with you? Yes, I could. But I won't. I hate you. I know. Alright, so from big and burly and traditional to the next most common form that we see in D&D 5e, we've got Megan in her little hole in Ravenloft where she's been this entire time and we figure we got Megan in a little hole in Ravenloft we'll give her the ones that also cower in little holes Megan is covering the were rat Hey everyone Megan here as you know here from Castle Ravenloft so blessed today that we happen to be talking about you know were creatures when we've actually just come across a tomb full of rats and of course, our health and safety officer shut down the room in fear that there was a clan of were-rats. 
I didn't really know much about them until today, but kind of very excited to share a couple of my findings, even though I kind of have a fear of becoming a were-rat myself. So to start, these folks are more or less like your thieves guild of the lycanthropes. And they do tend to kind of build their hideouts within caverns and catacombs and dark and dingy places. So I I'm not quite surprised that, you know, Doug, the health and safety guy, uh, was concerned. However, I've been told that they're very selective about who they kind of curse and bring into their clan. So I don't think I would make a very good were-rat. So I think that I'm okay, but like, I'll get into that like when I get into their stats. So in fact, let's do that right now. So when they're in their rat form, it's pretty basic. I mean, they do tend to really want to stay in their rat form or pop into their rat form when trying to make a quick escape or just do something really fast and really quick. So that's the one that they kind of favor for those kinds of actions. So being a, a tiny beast that is technically unaligned, they do only have an armor class of 10. It's a small creature. If you poke it, you're going to stab it. That's just kind of how it goes. Um, very, very small amount of hit points. Again, it's a rat. You don't want to get too overzealous and crazy with this. With a speed of only 20, technically, and, and in my mind I was trying to think of why, if as a rat they're going to make a quick escape, would they not have a faster speed? Well, I mean, they're small, so they have small legs, so they're not going to go as far. So, yeah, that was kind of how I justified that, but you guys can talk about that if you feel like it. So for stats, they have a strength of negative four, a dex of zero, a con of negative one, in intelligence is negative four, wisdom zero, and charisma negative three. So um, I'll get into a little bit as to why like their wisdom is a little bit higher, because that kind of up comes into play with a couple of their abilities. But of course, in my mind, their dex would be one of their higher stats because they move around um, dodging shit, probably, you know, ducking and diving through holes and walls, etc. that kind of thing, right? So for senses, they do have dark vision of 30 feet. Passive perception uh, is a 10. Uh, they don't have any languages. Uh, challenge rating, obviously, of zero. It's a rat. It's not that scary. Um, so again, why they would have perception or wisdom, shall we say, at a, at a zero as well, is basically for perception purposes. So they do have keen smell. So they do have an advantage um, on a wisdom check or a perception check on things that they can smell. And then, of course, just being a rat, it has an action of a bite. Uh, when it comes to being in their human form, of course, the visual you get is a, like, scrawny, twitchy, wiry kind of human. Um, they do actually prefer using light weapons over heavy weapons. I feel like that checks out in the sense where, like, even if they are in their human form, they still want to be very lightweight. They still want to move around. They still want to be able to escape. Should they not randomly be able to shapeshift or move into their rat form to be able to escape? So they don't like carrying a whole lot on them. Also, just imagine the fact that if they live within catacombs or small spaces, if you're trying to trying to escape and you're trying to run, you don't want things that are going to get like hooked or attached onto things. You want to be able to fit in small spaces still, even if you are in your humanoid form. That's just how I picture it in my head anyways. All right, but to get into kind of like your stats in your humanoid form, if you were to be a were-rat, we're looking at an armor class of 12. It's kind of humanoid-ish. That seems pretty average for me. They do have a bigger hit point pool and a speed of 30. Obviously, in my mind, longer legs, a little bit more speed. So yeah, these guys are technically a medium humanoid. So they are just the size of your regular human and can be lawful evil. Uh, in my mind, if you are in a thieves guild, it's hard not to be on the more of the evil side. But I'd be interested to hear you guys' thoughts on how to be a good wear creature. I think that would be an interesting conversation to hear. Well, let's jump into some of its basic stats. So its strength is uh, zero, its dex is plus two, a con of plus one, intelligence zero, wisdom zero, and charisma negative one. So of course its stat block is very focused in on dex and constitution. So in my mind, that definitely checks out and tracks for the fact that 
they can move very quickly. I'm just imagining like gymnastic style movements of their little bodies. Um, and then, of course, Constitution just being able to live and survive uh, in weird conditions, right? Um, skills, of course, their perception is still plus two with a stealth of plus four. Again, checks out if you're thinking like rogue style um, thieves guilds kind of creature. Uh, damage immunities, though, they have a ton, uh, which I think is awesome. I think this checks out for a couple of the wear creatures, but of course they are immune uh, to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons that aren't silvered. So again, that it, that's similar to any other of the wear creatures I'm sure that you guys are covering. Um, but I I love and hate this because, like, I, I don't know. I've played in a lot of campaigns where there's wear creatures, and if you, as a non D and D or fantasy player of games would not understand that you require light or silver to destroy these kinds of creatures. And I do believe it would be very frustrating to try and figure that out with a DM that was not interested in helping you figure that out or think that you should know those things. It's just weird to me. Anyways, bad experience in my in my mind from that kind of behavior from DMs and players. So again, interested to hear what your guys' thoughts are on that. So they do have dark vision of 60 feet in rat form only and uh, passive perception of 12. Um, they do have common and they... Uh, can't speak in rat form. Not not that they can't speak rat in human form, but they just can't speak in rat form. Do rats not have a language? Interesting. Okay, cool. Challenge rating of two. Uh, so very basic, very simple kind of character. Um, they have the shape changer capabilities, of course, because they are a were creature. So it can basically use its action to polymorph into a rat humanoid hybrid or into a giant rat and then back into its true form, which is a humanoid. Its statistics, you know other than its size, are pretty much the same in each form. Any equipment it is wearing or carrying isn't transformed. It's reverted into its true form if it dies. So I'm sure you guys are covering shape shifter, shape changer in pretty much every single one, but yeah. And then of course they do still maintain their keen smell, so the were-rat has advantage on wisdom perception checks, um, and it just relies on its smell. For actions, they do have a multi-attack in humanoid or hybrid form only. The were-rat makes two attacks, only one of which can be a bite. So it's not like you can try and bite and curse someone multiple times in attack, which I think is a good balance. Otherwise, you're just going to turn everyone into a were-rat right away, and that's just annoying as hell. So, of course, for their attacks, they have their bite. So rat or humanoid form only. They have a melee attack, which is a plus four to hit, a reach of five feet. Of course, it's a single target, uh, but in some forms, it's a four or a 1d4 plus two piercing damage. If the target is a humanoid, it must succeed on a D11 constitution saving throw, and otherwise they will be cursed. So, um, curse away, my friends. Um, they, as I said, that they do tend to like to carry lighter weapons, so in, you know, in the readings, they would definitely mention that it would be like a short sword or a hand crossbow that they would carry. Nothing too large, like a mace or like a, an axe or anything like that. So that would just be, of course, a melee attack. That's a plus four to hit with five reach, um with either 5 or 1d6 plus 2 piercing damage, or, of course, your basic hand crossbow, uh, which is a ranged attack um, of a range of 30 to 120 feet, uh, with pretty much the same kind of damage, except it's a 1d6 plus 2 piercing damage. So as a whole, very interesting kind of grouping of rat folk. Um, I do find them interesting in the sense that they do like to fight a little bit more in pack tactics and horde tactics than they would fighting on their own. Um, so it, I feel like it'd be very rare that you would find one of these by themselves. Not to mention also, like, a piece of their culture is that they, they don't accept it if you leave the clan as well. 
So I feel like it would be very, very rare in a campaign that you would find one of these just wandering around about by itself um, without a purpose or without being hunted by its old clan. So I think in a cl- in like a D&D setting, I think the most obvious use of these things would be you go into a catacomb or you're searching through any kind of dungeon, you would come across like a whole horde of these or a clan or a couple of them sprinkled here and there and you find out that there's a clan within your area. Um, or you can kind of have like the fun backstory where if you decide to build like a where character is an NPC, be more of like a, you know, I escaped my clan. Can you help me and keep me hidden so that I can continue to escape from my clan and you have this NPC that's constantly hiding that kind of aspect to it. I like where rats. I'm interested to kind of hear what you guys think about a couple of those pieces that I spoke to. One, again, do rats have a language? If so, why not? And would you guys probably maybe put one in as a DM, like to be able to communicate in rat form? Or do you think that they're not smart enough to have a language in rat form? I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Um, as well as, of course, would you use these as, or allow your players to play as where, or have you allowed your players to play as where characters? And was it successful? Um, I personally have played it a few campaigns uh, with characters that have played as where animals and where creatures, and it just did not work out the way that they wanted it to, just because the way the stat blocks are built. So, interested to hear your thoughts. Um, for the audience, obviously, feel free to uh, follow me on Instagram at zero mega zero. Um, basically, just a lot of weird nerdy art stuff. So, feel free to do so. Otherwise, you guys have yourselves a great week. Bye. I love the fact that Megan's grave robbing team in the catacombs of Castle Ravenloft has a uh, health and safety officer named Doug. I, I legit know a, a CSO whose name is Doug. And um, that's the funniest shit I have heard all week. <laughs> and I had, okay, immediately derailed. But I had, uh, when I got home today, to the day we're recording this is April Fool's. We are recording this on April 1st. Just shattering that window. Um, I got home and my daughter walks up to me and she, uh, my, uh, she broke her arm recently. She's going to go get the cast removed. Um, and she goes, daddy, I made you brownies. I'm like, oh, fantastic. Okay. And she's like, go look at them up. Uh, like they're up on the stove waiting for you. I'm like, okay. So I go upstairs home from work, exhausted, really looking forward to brownies, open up the, um, tinfoil wrapped baking tray. And it is a bunch of brown paper Letter E's cut out in the pan. And I've never been more proud as a father. Brown E's. Brown E's. Yeah. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. I was, I was so proud of her. Okay. So, <laughs> so back, back, back to the. Oh, hey, yeah. We're doing a podcast. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever had a player succumb to lycanthropy in a campaign? I have been one and I have DM'd one. How'd it go? Um, the, when I became one, um, in 30 words or less. Oh, that's hard to do. And I've already just lost 12. Um, the, it went well with, with me. Um, we went where boar, I believe it was. Oh, sorry, where bear with it. And I, I went good. And it was part of being a half-orc barbarian who could shift into this bear sure. form. It worked well for me. Um, when I DM'd it, it did not go well because of uh, the situation I mentioned earlier where the lawful good paladin really wanted to play the lawful good paladin. I gave him the curse and he's all like, no, I'm immune to curses. I'm like, you're not immune to this one. Uh, it, it it went poorly. So um, learn from my mistakes, target a different player. 
Don't go after the lawful good paladin if they're immune to curse. Don't go after the guy who's immune to curse and force them to change. Go after... Well, no, you know what? I'm going to. But I'm also going to say ahead of time that, oh, did you know lycanthropy is a different kind? It is above and beyond what you are immune to as a paladin. Yeah, I'm going to drop that hint from the local priest or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, What about you? No. No, I've I've seen it in campaigns. I've had other players get hit by it. And it never lasts longer than a session because remove curse hits. Yeah, that's fair. And then we're done. Like, it, it's over. It, yeah, the, the fact that it's removable by remove curse is it removes all the drama from this. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I don't like it. Um, do you think uh, the rats should have a language? No, rats don't get a fucking language, Megan. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'm not even going to fucking acknowledge that. Next. Next. Uh, well, if you're not going to acknowledge that, how do you feel about the fact that the werewolf gets an increase to its speed in wolf form, but the were-rat doesn't have any sort of change to its speed doesn't even get a downgrade to 20 feet because it's smaller yeah i hate that i just i don't understand why this is this is again fifth edition design not being consistent uh i'm going to straight up say no you move 20 feet i'm sorry the end all when when my npcs when my monsters turn into rats remember they drop everything so all of a sudden poof there's empty clothes yeah and a rat comes scurrying out towards the nearest hole it's a last ditch effort to get the fuck away. So yeah, they're going to be dashing. They'll be moving forty feet and around because they're not attacking. Let them get away. Yeah, right. Uh, that that's enough. I'm not going to give them sixty feet of movement to get out of their clothes and, and run away. That's it. It's stupid and ridiculous. And if a player gets gets cursed with the wear rat thing, they're not going to be super rat. Do you agree? I do. Honestly, I do. Um, if if you are going to change the speed of a werewolf, you should be able to change the speed of a were-rat. Yeah. Just, just logically, those two should match. Yep. Absolutely. And we're going to see when we get to were-bear, their speeds change as well. I just, I hate that the were-rat doesn't. Yeah. Okay. So I've harped on alignment a couple of times and alignment doesn't fucking matter in 5th edition. We've said it over and over and over again. And Megan was wondering what a good aligned were-rat would look like. But I mean... First of all, do you like the fact that these guys are lawful evil, even though they're associated with thieves guilds? Yeah, which tend to be chaotic neutral. Um, I, I I really do like the fact that they're lawful evil, uh, mostly because I view them as they're kind of the guys that will do anything that, but they they will fall to that sniveling pecking order, right? So if someone above them tells them to do it, they're going to do it because they're afraid of that person. That's that lawful. Yeah. And they're evil. They will do anything. Yeah. And I also think that your characters can bribe them. Yep. So I'm actually fine with this, strangely. Like, Thieves Guilds, this is not a, a standard Thieves Guild. If you've got a little warren of were-rats, they're just, they're their own unique kind of urchin, as opposed to Thieves Guild to me. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. What do you feel about the fact that uh, the were-rats get... Um, Dark vision in the rat form and only in the rat form. Like we, we look at the other ones we see today and none of the other uh, lycanthropes in today's episode gets dark vision. Only where rats get it in their rat form. Do you like that? Do you hate that? What are you thinking? <sighs> yeah, I don't know. They should have it in the hybrid form. I, I honestly, I think rat vision. Uh, sorry. Where no, rats should rat have vision. It. I, that's what I'm calling it. Yeah. Now. Um, I think they should have it in their hybrid form as well. But why the fuck do werewolves not get dark vision? Because wolves don't get it, but rats do have dark vision. Yeah, that's I, I get it, but I, I still, like, 
the idea of a wolf's eye shining in the dark is such is such an iconic trope. Why don't wolves get dark vision? Well, because their eyes shining in the dark is not them getting dark vision. It's just reflecting the fire or the light that they got close to so they can see their prey, right? Like that's that's what it is. I I don't know, man. Dark vision is so overused and it's weird that I'm saying for the first time I think it's underutilized on a monster. <laughs> this is the one monster that should have it. Combo breaker. <laughs> um, okay, did you notice that the DC for the con save to hold back the curse is lower for these guys? It was uh, DC 12 for the werewolf, DC 11 for the were-rat. It's different for all of them. Do you like that? It makes me wonder. It makes me wonder. I'm looking at lycanthropy. Lycanthropy, the curse, seems to be dependent upon the animal. And So do we have different lycanthropy curses? Or is it a biological aspect of the lycanthropy? Or like, how? why okay, is it different it, strengths? At- this is just occurring to me now. But to curse someone with lycanthropy, what is the process? You mean like when the hag does it? Yeah. Not, not the bite? Yeah. I'm going to sacrifice the animal. Yeah, right? Yeah. It is so much easier to get a hold of a rat. And it is such a smaller and more sniveling little creature that to break the curse, to resist the curse is going to be that much easier. Wolves, a little bit more so. Then boars, um, boars nice. a little bit more so. And then bears, a lot more so. Right? Like... Uh, tigers even more so. Well, tigers and bears, I think, are the same. Yeah, I think they're the same. It, it's 15 for both, or 14 for both, I think. No, uh, tigers are a little bit easier. Bears okay. are the hardest. But, like, the... I, I, I like this idea. This informs how the curse is made to me. Sure. Okay. I still think that it's... Sh- that the magic itself is the same. It's sh- it, So it should be the same con. Like, the same save. I... I... Because it's a it's a lesser life. I think it's because it's a lesser life form. It's interesting to me, Dan, that, that you think that they're greater and lesser life forms. Let's move on. Between animals, yes. All life is sacred, Dan. I'll kill the fuck out of a cow for a steak. I don't give a shit. <laughs> oh, Dan. <laughs> Come at me, vegans. <laughs> Thanks, Terry. Jesus, calm down. All right, so um, when a player... We talked about the werewolf player for a second. When a player becomes a were-rat, here are the things that change. Their dex bumps to 15 if it isn't that high already, which is the same thing. I still want that to be a numerical bonus. It should be a plus two. Yeah. Um, attack and damage rolls for their natural attacks are strength or dex based, whichever is higher. Sure. Yeah, that suits, that tracks for me. Um, I just, I just want to see like the gigantic Austrian were rat that's just massive, but he's still a were rat. Just like Arnold Schwarzenegger level muscles, but he's still just a were rat. Um,. I think you'd look more like Stallone. No, Dolph Lundgren. Anyway, um, again, this is another thing where the human form, the humanoid form, still gets <clears throat> still gets that bonus to the stat, even when they're in their humanoid form, right? Like it's it's a little odd that they're still doing that. Mm-hmm. I I don't like it. I think that you should not be able to tell by looking at them. That's one of my favorite things about lycanthropy lore is that you don't know who the werewolf is in D anD D. You can tell. Yeah, they start picking up the traits. I'm not sure I like that. We have shifters. Just just fucking do that. I, I like the fact... I like it because it's subtle. But I would definitely... If if it is a... You know, you're trying to find the were-rat. And there's that one dude whose nose twitches all the time. Yeah. That's that's too easy of a giveaway. Yeah. Right? I, I would have it be far more subtle than that. So I got a question for were-rats as well. They're really the one... I mean, were-tigers as well. But we're not talking about those this week. With were rats, 
when they turn into hybrids, should they have tails? Yes. Cool. I agree. I agree 100%. I also feel like that would be absolutely horrible and painful. I think the whole process of changing forms is horrible and painful. Yeah, but I really think that their tailbone should fucking ache. I just, I don't know why I'm, I'm focused on that, but like, I feel like when you suddenly grow an entire appendage, that now, should be fucking traumatized. Now, if you're in a commune of were-rats and you all change into a uh, your hybrid form at the same time and you grow that tail, do they get all tied together and can you have a were-rat king? No. Stop that. Moving on. Before we move on to the next one, I want to finally get into this immune to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons that aren't silvered. We talked about it briefly before, but I want to point out how fucking powerful this is. And you have to say no at some point and use common sense. Yeah. Because, first of all, a fireball will still work on them. Yep. So it, it is those specific kinds of damage. But a Tarasque a tarask who steps on a were-rat will not kill the were-rat. That seems fucking broken to me. A kraken should wrap it in a tentacle and pop it like a fucking balloon. And technically, that's bludgeoning damage from a non-magical weapon. Ah, uh, I see what you're saying. I, I At some point, it, you have to... If you go to the far end of it, sure. I'm just going to pull the death by massive damage ruling. Yeah. Will override this immunity. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. So, you can toss this guy off an airship. Uh, yeah. Um, Even though that's just bludgeoning damage, they're not going to get up flat style like fucking Judge Doom from Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? No, I... mm. Let me be clear. You would have to do 66 points of damage on average. In a single hit. In a single hit in order to trigger this. So, frankly, your likelihood of doing this is not going to come up very often. But when the Even dropping them off a thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's just 10d6. You're not going to... You're not going to get there. No. Right. The, it, they'll go down. I might even knock them unconscious, but they'll get back up. Uh, at, uh, I mean, it's very situation uh, situational and I would have uh, use common sense with it. Like you were saying, that's what I'm saying. But yeah. uh, at the same time, the idea of like the Tarask or Godzilla level, like Kaiju monster squishing the were rat, moving its foot, and the were rat <laughs> gets back up and like scr- scrambles away. The big, meant, the big threat of these things is how resilient they are. and Yeah, but I don't play fucking Looney Tunes, Dan. That's Looney Tunes to me. If you're playing a comedy campaign, man, you do you, that's absolutely fine. But in a realistic lycanthrope campaign and whatnot that I'm talking about here, that's... That, uh, it's only com- comedic because that's the way I put it. Having having these things just be that resilient, that resistant to damage. It is a curse. It is magic that is protecting them. I I am willing to make more concessions towards in favor of the wear of the wear beast than I am towards logic in this sense. Okay, that's you. I would play it differently. I'm okay. I'm not I'm not gonna mess with that. Let's roll on um, mob structures, uh, mob structures socially, and encounters for these guys. I got a six. I got a seventeen. I'm, you... I'm, yeah, I don't, I don't get to go first. This is the mob of all of them. This is the one that's a mob. Yeah. You're gonna run into lots of them, and they are going to want to infect others with the lycanthropy, and they are going to sit there and say, "Hey, just give in. It's fine. Hey, yeah, it's okay, right?" And they are going to want more true. Were rats. Mm-hmm. They're going to want to breed like rats too. 
Oh, yeah. They're going to have giant colonies. Your sewers should always have were-rats in them. This is one of those, uh, I 100% agree with you, this is one of those mobs that can really get away. Like, this is the... Kobolds as well. Like, they're gonna, you're gonna get a lot of them. Yeah, like. right. And and for a level 20 campaign dealing with the were-rat plague, and the were-rats are just moving from spot to spot to spot, uh, infecting everybody in their path. Yeah. Right? Um, I, I'm on board with that. That's a fun campaign to make. Yeah, yeah. What about socially? Let's talk about that. We just talked about the encounter side. What about socially? All right. So from a social standpoint, they're going to be sniveling. They're going to be like the stool pigeon, the traditional kind of um, the the fence of the for the illegal um, weapons or drugs yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're always dealing in a back alley with a trench coat. And if you just point a crossbow at them, even if it's not silver, silvered, they're going to go, hey, 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 hey. No, no, no. It's okay. It's all right. They know they're going to live, but they just don't want to get hurt. Yeah. Right? And I mean, it's going to be, hey, you know who? You know who's a were-rat? Remember Men in Black? Do you have any idea how much that stings? He's a were-rat. Tony Shalhoub, Tony Shalhoub is, is a were-rat yeah. in that movie. And that's what, what were-rats are to me. Cool. You know who else is? Benny from The Mummy. Oh, Yeah. Hey, O'Connell, looks like we got all the horses. <laughs> yeah, he's a fucking were-rat. Those are were-rats to me. Yeah, um, there's one a- other aspect of were-rat, um, and it comes in purely in the urban frame of mind. When I think of were-rats, I don't know why I think Victorian. Um, and I think that darkened, uh, shadowy figure in the alleys they're always standing on cobblestone, aren't they? Yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't know why I have that too. It's, and I, I I don't know why that is, but like they're they're going to be that ominous threat in the shadows um, that really draws your players into the grime of an urban setting. You'll notice they're also the only evil one that has a ranged attack. They have the hand crossbow to shoot from the shadows. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're going to use that. And and you said like they're going to breed like rats will. Yes. These guys never come alone. I get it. It's gross, but I get it. Gross. Anyway, speaking of gross, Dave has gone to Drome in Eberron, where the genocidal attitudes of that campaign setting have forced them to seek asylum. Do you think that there might not be a cure in Eberron? Lycanthropy is so easy to fix in D&D that it's weird that they just went freaking crusade on the lycanthropes in, in Eberron and forced all of them off into this corner of the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, under the protection of hags and, and trolls and shit to, in order to live. And remember, monsters there do run, like, that is the monster nation. Yeah, yeah. Right? So they're just a part of everyday life, wandering around in the streets and whatnot. So I assume that they've all given in to their evil side. I guess there's no cure in Eberron. I'm sure. okay with that. Yeah, I'm all right with the two. It's unique. Other than a like, big ritual or something like pulling on the dragon's yeah. shards of some short sort fucking thing. But yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say that it's probably tied to the Dalkir because fuck everything else is. So sure. just, I mean, go, go nuts with it. Go to town. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and yeah, I really do like that there's not a, I'm, I'd still use a wish. Let, let them use a wish. Hey guys, Dave here. I'm still hanging out in uh, Corvair, and more specifically in Drome. We've uh, managed to find our way into a forest here, and it's led me to have some interesting conversations uh, with some people and locals. As you know, uh, there was a big push 
to get rid of all of the lycanthropes in Corvair, and a lot of them ended up down here. Uh, now, specifically, the ones that were really interesting to me were the werebores. Uh, now, werebores are ill-tempered and, and vulgar brutes. When they're in their humanoid shape, uh, they're, they're big and muscular and, you know, kind of, you know, beefy and whatnot, but they do tend to keep, like, short, uh, stiff hair as well. Uh, I mean, honestly, I think Terry might be one of these. Like, he's, he's kind of stocky and muscular. He's, he's, you know, got short, stiff hair. Like, he's, he is Terry. Uh, now, when these guys are in their humanoid and hybrid forms, the, they use heavy weapons. Well, in hybrid or animal form, they get uh, goring attacks that they use to spread the, the lycanthropy, the curse of lycanthropes, right? Uh, a werebore infects other creatures indiscriminately. It's going to try to hit anybody and it can. Uh, and it relishes the fact that the more that the victims resist the curse, the more savage they become, the more bestial they become. Uh, now, werebores do live in small family groups uh, in remote forest areas, and they do build, like, small little huts uh, or, or, you know, dwellings in caves and stuff like that. Uh, they are very, very suspicious of strangers, but they do sometimes um, find themselves... Uh, allying and joining up with with orcs maybe to raid something here or there maybe they think that oh yeah you got tusks i got tusks we should be friends right their stat block is actually kind of is kind of neat they are medium humanoids that are neutral evil uh, when they're in their humanoid form their ac is 10 uh, when they're in their boar or hybrid form their ac is 11 okay because they get some natural armor uh, their hit points are 12 d8 plus 24 their speed is 30 feet, but if they're in boar form, they're in, they're, their speed is 40 feet. Uh, their strength is a 17, con is a 15, and everything else is entirely average except for charisma, which is a little below. Their skills, they get perception of a plus 2, and they are immune, again, immune to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons that aren't silvered, okay? So that's where it becomes difficult for your guys. Uh, they do get a passive perception of 12, and they speak common, although they cannot speak it when they are in boar form. Uh, these guys are a CR4, and it, it, the, the stats represent that quite well. Now, they do get the Shape Changer ability. Uh, the werebore can use its action to polymorph into a kind of boar-slash-humanoid hybrid, or just straight up into a boar. They can also use their action to turn back into their true humanoid form. Uh, its statistics, other than its AC, are the same in every form, and the equipment that it's wearing or carrying is not transformed. Uh, but if the werebore dies, it does transform back into its true form. It does get a charge attack when it is in the boar or hybrid form only. If the werebore moves at least 15 feet straight toward a target, and then hits it with its tusks on the same turn, the target takes an extra 2d6 slashing damage. If the target is a creature, it must succeed on a dc13 strength save, or it'll be knocked prone. Uh, it also gets a relentless ability. Now this recharges after a short or long rest. Uh, if the werebore takes 14 damage or less, that would reduce it to zero hit points. It is reduced to one hit point instead. Okay, so if your sorcerer is sitting in the back and he throws a fireball at this thing and it does 40 damage or whatever, the werebear is going to die. But if it's getting low and you do less than 14 to it, or sorry, 14 or less to it, that would reduce it to zero hit points, then it's still up, it's still moving, it still is relentless, if that makes sense. 
Uh, for its actions, it does get a multi-attack in the humanoid or hybrid form only. The Werebore will make two attacks, uh, only one of which can be with its tusks. <clears throat> they do have a maul, which they use in the humanoid or hybrid form only. And that is a melee weapon, which is a plus 5 to hit, reach of 5 feet, and it does 2d6 plus 3 bludgeoning damage. However, its tusk attack, which is also a melee weapon attack, is a plus 5 to hit. It does 2d6 plus 3 slashing damage, and it must succeed on a DC 12 con save or be cursed with werebore lycanthropy. Lycanthropy? Yeah, I'm going to go with lycanthropy. Now, it would be doing a disservice if you guys didn't also learn about what a boar is, okay? Uh, boars are medium beasts. They've got, you know, an AC of 11 and, you know, 2d8 plus 2 hit points. Their speed is 40 feet. Uh, their strength and con are a little bit above average, and everything else is uh, a little bit below. Their passive perception is 19. They have no language, and they're a CR one quarter. They also get the charge and relentless action, um, and they get a tusk attack, which is a plus three to hit, and a 1d6 plus one slashing uh, damage. Now, you got to keep in mind that boars tend to not be solitary, okay? As you guys know, I do hunt. I know a little bit about boars. Um... Or, or wild pigs, I guess. And not that I've specifically hunted them, but in my experience, I've come across a little bit about these guys. Now, everything from the boar to a wild pig to even a javelina, uh, which is sometimes known as a stink pig, that's javelina with a J, okay? Uh, these things tend to travel around uh, with others of their kind. Now, they don't have to, but they tend to, okay? Uh, especially with the young. I mean, that's, you're going to find that with most creatures. Uh, they're going to travel around and so on uh, in packs. And what these guys will do is when they come across a threat, they make a lot of noise, which intimidates, uh, and then they charge. Sometimes they'll follow through with that charge, but they don't always, okay? It'll be a false charge to kind of show superiority uh, and, again, to intimidate. But these things are going to be running scared most of the time. All right, if they do hit, they're going to hit and run. And I feel like that would probably be something that you're going to get with the werebores as well. Now, it doesn't say anything like that specifically in anything I've come across in the 5th edition manual. But, I mean, this is how that creature would respond to a threat. They're not going to run up and hit you and then stand there and hit you again and then stand there and hit you again with their tusks. Like, that's not the kind of creature that these are. These guys don't want to have to have to resort to combat. They want to scare you to leave them alone, and then they're going to fuck off, okay? Uh, and I really feel like that's how you should probably play a werebore uh, if you were going to put your party up against one. Uh, anyways, I'm going to send it back now to Adam and Dan. If you guys want to get a hold of me, you can reach me always at the subreddit r slash it's a mimic. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll catch you later. So thank the D&D gods that we have Dave. Because how else would we know how big a boar is, Adam? Fuck. What an idiot. Anyway, I was surprised to discover that they were medium creatures. I, I legitimately was. Oh, really? I wasn't at all. I've, I've seen boar. They're fucking huge, man. I've seen razorback boar. Yeah, but like wild piglets and shit are like toe puntable. Right? Well, but, yeah, the piglets. Yeah. Sure. But like children are toe puntable too. Like, yeah, but, okay. Okay. Uh, pigs. You haven't lived until you kicked a baby, Adam. Oh, then I have lived, Dan.
concern. <laughs> um, there is, uh, when I look at pigs, I see them as no bigger than a mastiff. And a mastiff is a small-sized creature. A mastiff pushes that boundary to me. So does a pig. I'm just surprised that these things are, that boars are medium. I'm fine with it because it does push that boundary. That's where it blurs the line. I'm cool with it. But you're telling me that a boar is bigger than a wolf? You know how big fucking wolves are? Good God. I mean, it's bigger than some wolves? Yeah, I, 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 I can see it. Anyways, what about the low ACs? This is getting to be a fucking problem. Like, this thing is a CR4 and it has an AC of 10 or 11. What the hell does this tell you about lycanthropes in D&D? That they are an afterthought. Right? Yeah. Look, it tells me that, that they are relying on you not being able to hit them. There's one silvered weapon that one character has that is going to be the target of the attack. Right? That's what it tells me with this. Because if all of your martial characters have it, if your monk has, has silver brass knuckles, these... Creatures don't stand a chance. No. The action economy is already against them. And all you need is a single spellcaster in the mix to fuck them up. Remember, they are not immune to fire, Spells. cold, and force damage. Like the, the fighter doesn't need a plus one silver sword. He just needs a wand of magic missile with four charges. Yeah. Right? And if everybody has one, we'll do it. Like the, That fucker's going down. So it's not impossible to get by here, but they're designed as if as if that's the only way to do it. I really don't like that. No. There just needs to be a higher AC. I would almost give them resistance to spells. Spell resistance for lycanthropes? Yeah. If I'm going to make it a CR 8, 9, 10 when I'm getting up that level, absolutely spell resistance. Yeah. like that. The cursed... alpha wolf or the original one that got cursed? We see that vampires, and vampires and werewolves are always going to be closely associated. We see that vampires, they really embrace this conniving mastermind narrative with them with yeah. their mechanics they need to really embrace when it comes to where boar where bears where wolves even where rats this savage tenacity that they have these things need to endure and how else to do them how else better to do that than to give them a bunch of defensive boons and then i mean unfortunately as rules is written they've stripped that away from them by giving them these really low acs now that's not to say you can't give them armor for their hybrid forms, mm -hmm. but um, and I 100% would if they're a bad guy, they would understand that. Hey, of course, yeah, right. And, and I mean, we've said that from day one. A werebore with a shield and scale mail armor wielding a long sword is still a possible thing to encounter. Yep, right. Um, it just uh. It, it bugs me that they don't have a little bit more boost of that curse for their survivability. Yeah. The other thing that's freaking weird here is the relentless ability that they have. Because it, if it takes less than 15, so 14 or less damage that would reduce it to zero hit points, they pop back up with one. Why? Like, uh, fine, we were just talking about this defensive boon that they should have, but but why? And why only werebores? And why only once per rest? I, I just don't understand this relentless. I'm back at what uh, what we do in the shadows with relentless. I th I think relentless. But, <laughs> fucking Nandor. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I was so relentless. Uh, <laughs> Creepy paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I mean, we see the relentless is it, it's going to match what ha- uh, half orcs get in that respect, right? Honestly, this is but, one of those things that I'm writing down on a little sticky note and I'm putting inside my DM screen to add to my homebrew monsters and stuff mm-hmm. to give them like rampage, like reckless, like all of these other hack tactics. Stuff yeah, like that, yeah. These are the things that you're going to give to make your unique creatures even more unique and, and memorable and whatnot. It's the fact that it it shrugged this off and and then ran away. I, I, I'm assuming, I'm assuming that it is because you hit a boar hard enough and the boar is just going to run the fuck away if it can. It's got thick enough skin. It's going to try to shrug it off and disappear into the long grass. Sure. I, I, is that the mentality on this? I think so. The fact that they charge, they have the ability to charge in. So then they would have the ability to shape change and run away with their 40 feet of movement and boar form. Like, is that, is that because I mean, I don't see a, I don't see a boar running away from a fight. Boars very much will run, though. Like, when you are hunting they will, boars... They will run to turn around and get you again when you're not No, 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 they're, they're super territorial. Like, they, if you're in their territory, yeah, they'll come back around to get you. Yeah. But all creatures, all creatures will live tomorrow or will live today to fight tomorrow. No yep. creature, unless they're a zealot, is going to fight to the death. Yeah, that's fair enough. So, this, this is what it comes... Like, I like Dave's insight about the hit and run tactic. Okay. Right? That boars do. Because they charge out of nowhere, they they sideswipe you, and then they disappear again. Right? This is my whole idea of them running away. Because they want to turn around and charge you again. At some point, they're going to be too wounded to do that, and they would know to fuck off. Even a regular boar would, so a werebore definitely it is. It is a trait that we see a lot when we see lycanthropes in, uh, in pop culture. Where, like, that first attack, you never really see them. They run by and someone's dead or gone. Oh, yeah. Or they're on the ground bleeding from a huge gash on their leg. Right. right? Or something like that. Um, Speaking of bleeding from a huge gash in their leg, uh, does it annoy you as much as it annoys me that boar don't have a bite attack? Yeah. Like, they are known for their tusks. They are known for their weird-shaped mouths. And boars are known for eating fucking everything. Why do werebores... They're the only ones that don't get like a... It makes no sense. So I got a question. And if this is how they, they pass lycanthropy on, are their tusks covered in saliva? And is it saliva that does it then? Or is this still just a magical thing that's happening? No, it's it's like werebore dust. It, it's boogers. Like, it's boogers right next... Because it's right next to the t- mouth and nose and snout. I just don't understand why this is a thing that passes on lycanthropy. Everything else is bite. Yeah. I like, just, give them a bite attack, not just the tusks. I guess what they want is for them to charge in and hit with that gore, that tusk goring attack, and then hit with that lycanthropy, right? That's what they're going for here. So, fine, I get it, because by the time they stop to eat you, you're probably dead. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So, I I understand it, but it just, it thematically is fucking weird. Now, for players with these guys, um, we see that, as we saw with were-rats and werewolves, they get that boost to strength. These guys go up to 17. Yeah. That's beefy, but again, it should just be a numerical bonus. Um, and they get that bonus to AC, which has been the same yeah, the with plus the episode one. for the yeah. plus one. Now, um, their attacks are, and everything is going to be strength-based and strictly strength-based. Well, yeah, for their natural attacks. It makes sense. They're yeah. boars. And uh, that boost to strength, like with the others, doesn't 
matter what form you're in. You just get that boost. Sure. Okay. I mean, and these guys are the neutral evil, right? Nope. Which is... I mean, sure. Uh, we see this with fiends. We, we've seen this with, with others as well. Oh, you get the lawful evil, the chaotic evil, the neutral evil. Sure, this is the neutral evil one. I guess these guys are just more all about damage. I feel like these guys should have been chaotic, where wolves should have been neutral evil. I, I, I see werebores being very selfish, so neutral evil makes, act, makes sense to me. It tracks, for sure. Yeah, I just I just see werewolves as being more evil. Yeah. Capital yeah. E. So it honestly it doesn't matter. You all you know how to play <laughs> a werebore at this point. Yeah. Right? They also get that charge when when you are a player. Yo, you what's the, the what's the math on that? Uh it's uh strength plus profile uh sorry, eight plus proficiency plus strength modifier. Eight plus proficiency plus strength. I mean, sure, that's fine. You know what? That should be a fucking combat maneuver that anyone can do is with the charge. It fucking pisses me off that it's a feat. You get the charger feat, and that's that's the closest you get to the ability to do a full. Re- uh, we'll we'll rant about charge. this in our feats episode sure. way down the line when we finally cover those. Let's um, yeah grab the dice. Let's talk about uh, social structure and combat structure for these guys. Nat twenty. I got a you twelve. You cannot win. You finally hit double digits. And yeah. Play. All right. So. Look, Dave hit the nail on the head. These guys are small families. Mm-hmm. You're going to hit groups of them in groups of four to eight. You're not going to get big mobs. No. They're, these guys, they if if a hag has cursed them, like I can see these guys being minions. I can. They make good just um, like sidekicks to following orcs around as well. Like they could be almost mercenaries sometimes, mm-hmm. um, depending on how intelligent, if they've embraced it. But if they... Ha- if they're resisting it, they're going to have their own little warbore family or werebore family out in the middle of nowhere. And they're going to be super territorial about shit. And tribal. Yeah. And this more than the others, you should be able to see evidence of as they gore up at the trees and shit as well, right? Yeah. How do you track a werewolf? The tufts of hair, the blood, the the footprints, and all of that's going to be the same, same for a werebore. The, the cracked twigs in the foliage. Yeah. How do you track where rats? I mean, are you looking for rat poop? Where rat poop in the corners of the room? Uh, I, I think where rats specifically are going to be the ones that are hard to track. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah. Um, but where boars, you're going to find the scraping on the trees. You're going to, like, a where boars, I need to go there, right? And goes in a straight line and fuck anything in its way. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and we get that with the charge. And the relentless flavor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is in fact, they're just very willful. As far as social encounters go, I feel like you can talk to them and you could hire them. I also feel like they are evil and they will eat your bones. Sure. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. These guys sit solidly with the... Um, Yugoloths. Yugoloths. Yeah. Right? That it's the They sa- could be mercenaries. It's the same conversation. It's just a little bit rarer. And it's for the ones that embrace this. Um. An interesting plot hook uh, that I would like to talk about with these guys is them being, um, and you're going to hate me for this, Adam, but I'm going to go for it anyways. A small troop of uh, mercenaries, I want to make them gnomes or halflings. Boo. I want to make them small. Um, and they are all wear boar. And the second that they get into a fight, they shift into their hybrid form and just tear shit apart. Sure. Why are they small? Um, it's not what you expect, right? Like whenever you get these smaller, uh, 
mobs, you always expect them to be spellcasters or rangers or something like that. But these guys are going to mix in with a gore attack. All right. So here's something else that I want to I want to point out. Just I mean, fine. You you do you with this. This this is fun. When it comes down to the social encounter, one of the things that had occurred to me before the episode that I just remembered was, um, do you know what a group of boars is called? Isn't it like a hutch or something? No. A group of hogs is a passel or a team. A group of swine is a sounder. But a group of boars is called a singular. So you can tell people that there is a singular of boars out there. And everyone's going to think, oh, there's one. That's so weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah. I, I don't know why I, I knew that ahead of time. But it's just, I think it's it's a fun way to throw them, to throw your players off the freaking scent. Is if they come across some scrawled thing about the singular boars or whatever. Yeah. They're going to be expecting one, but no, motherfucker, there's there's eight. There's six of these guys. So anyway, um, I just want to uh, reach out and thank everybody that's been a part of this process up to this point. We're on episode 15 of these mobs. Yeah. Which is intense and insane. And I am like, I'm having mob fatigue at this point. I honestly think I, I, I'm shocked that we're on 15. I thought we've done more of these things. Oh, it feels like it. Right. Yeah. But we've covered so many freaking creatures and, uh, and honestly, you can tell I'm going insane about it. I, you saw the April Fool's Day nonsense. That yeah, I was, that yeah, I yeah. I did. I did. Thanks. Thanks for all of those messages I got <laughs> asking if Adam was okay. I really appreciate. So Adam calls me today as we're getting ready to record. And like I said like earlier, this, this is this is this is April first. He goes, "Hey, so I made that Instagram post, and um, I was going to tell you about it at six a.m. I had a whole message typed up, but." Um, I guess I got distracted and forgot to hit send. So April Fool's, I'm like, it's six o'clock in the evening. I know that you made the Instagram post because I got, I got so many messages. Good. Like so many people going, is Adam okay? And I'm like, guys, it's April 1st. Like, how do I? Yeah, Adam's fine. Good. I'm not. Thanks for asking. Also good. No one asked me if I'm okay. Good. I'm okay, everybody. But that, that was a day. Anyways, I do want to remind everybody that. Um, you can reach Adam through Facebook or Instagram or r slash it's a mimic. Um, you can reach me as well, but I felt like I didn't have to say it because you all just demonstrated to me that you know how to reach me through these sources today after Adam's April Fool's joke. The subreddit got a little active too. Yeah, it did. It did. A lot of people going, is this guys? <laughs> no, nah, Adam's fine. Adam's good. We even got Brad with it for a half second. Oh, God. Like... <laughs> Is Adam all right? It's April Fool's bread. Come on, man. Anyways, um, if you want to go the more traditional route, you can reach us through our email at info at it's a, at info at it's a mimic.com. Um, because April Fool, April Fool's aside, we do love hearing from you guys. Um, so send us some questions. We got some mailbags coming um, up as well, and we do need more questions for them. So any of the social media email, send that to us. Um, so moving on. Terry is the last coverage we have today, and he is back out at the Green Dragon Inn, and uh, he's going to talk about uh, the werebear. Kind of. Okay, well, thanks, Adam and Dan, for passing it over to me. Okay, I'm talking to you guys about werebears. So, lycanthropy. So, we know lycanthropy. In the, we've we've heard and seen movies and, and these legends and, and books. We know about the werewolves running across the Yorkshire moors every time the, the moon gets full. And if they bite you, you're going to turn into one of them. Um, what's interesting in the D&D world, 
is that a remove curse spell, if you've been bitten by a, by another lycanthrope, a remove curse spell will remove that curse. It'll do just that. You will no longer be afflicted by that. But if you're born of lycanthrope parents, for example, if both of your parents are werebears, it's only a wish spell that can get rid of that. And DMs, that's important to incorporate into your game because we've shared frustrations before on the podcast that uh, it's too easy to get rid of it with a remove curse spell, uh, but yet we don't see the same kind of thing for creatures such as vampires. So include that into your game. It's going to be important. What's also important about werebears in particular is that they are loners, uh, you know, as bears are, and they are less likely to interact with with humanoids. They're going to try and stay away. They're going to protect their territory, uh, the other creatures and the, the plants and the fauna that's in there and, and the environment, but they're going to be less keen to come and interact with people. And also what's uh, a, a part of them is that they're less likely to turn people into werebears as well. So consequently, they avoid using their bite attack. That's important to know because it's part of the multi-attack and it's going to be something that they choose not to do. And for the more observant players or, you know, with a good insight check uh, or with a good passive insight, uh, you, you'll notice that the, the werebear is deliberately not biting you and is trying to avoid uh, bringing its teeth close to you. The only time that they'll turn somebody is uh, is if it's agreed upon, as if, you know, it's like a Shrek and a Princess Fiona type situation, if they're going to go off and be werebears in the woods together forever or for for another type of agreement, but they're less likely to do it um, of their own accord. Typically, werebears are good aligned. Again, don't be married to that. There's any number of reasons why a werebear may not be good aligned, you know. Uh, you're not going to be good aligned. If somebody burned your house down, I'm sure you'll soon forget that uh, those, <laughs> those values then. But uh, let's take a look at the stats. And before we go into this, I just want to point out, remember team, that a bear is not a bear is not a bear. Bears, as we know in the real world, are very different to one another. Um, a polar bear is nothing like a black bear. Absolutely nothing like a black bear at all. But I'm going to use the brown bear stats right here just to keep it keep it simple. Large beast, unaligned. Remember, we're not married to that. Um, they have natural armor, and so that's going to give like an average type of AC. It, yeah, it's going to be a little beefier than the than the person that it's fighting. Uh, hit points, 4d10 plus 12. That averages out at 34. Higher ground speed, of course. It's a brown bear. Okay, 40 feet for the ground speed. When we see their stats, their physical stats typically are higher. With very high strength. You got a much higher constitution. This makes sense. Something I will argue is that their dexterity is average here. Their dexterity is on par with a regular life human being. I do not believe that. I don't believe that, but we have to go along with it in the game, right? Um, because bears, it's energy conservation. They move slowly. If a bear wants to be on you, it will be on you before you know what day of the week it is. It will have hit you 12 times and ripped out your jugular before you even know what's going on. For anybody who's ever stepped foot into Canada, you know, you know, a black bear can climb a tree faster than a house cat. It, that is not of average dexterity. However, that's what the stats say, and so that's what we go with in the game. Okay, for the brown bear, for the uh, for the mental stats, I'll let you guys know. Of course, their intelligence is is low. It's going to be very low. Yeah, they're instinctual and they're aware of the world around them. But you know, they're still chewing sticks and black bears are choosing to uh, go through your garbage cans to find their food so maybe not too intelligent wisdom's going to be higher than average uh, but their charisma is going to be a little bit lower as well skills is going to be perception passive perception of 13 they don't speak any languages i don't feel the need to say that challenge rating of one they have keen smell so the bear has advantage on wisdom perception checks that rely on smell multi-attack that's going to include Two attacks, one with its bite, one with its claws. Remember, we're talking about werebears here that are significantly less likely to use that bite attack 
unless they need to defend themselves. Remember, if you're not playing them as good a line, they may not be married to that idea. But let's now think about how these werebears are going to be different based on the kind of bear that they are. And this is something to explore. You know, you could have you can have a polar werebear, but polar were polar polar werebears polar bears are very methodical and vicious killers. They're 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 hunters. They're very different to black bears that are typically Canadian black bears are typically scavengers. However, polar bears, they're not surrounded by too many trees, but let's use a grizzly bear for an example here. Grizzly bears are not usually bouncing up and down trees like black bears are. Black bears, their, their personality and their way that they operate, it's like closer to a raccoon than anything else. It's just a big raccoon that if it decides that it wants to kill you, it will kill you. But if you make a lot of noise, you're likely to deter it and it'll probably move away rather than deal with you. So uh, people where we live in Canada, where we live in British Columbia, there's, there's like cougars and bears and stuff coming into people's yards. And the place I live called Maple Ridge, there was a, what was here the other day? A bobcat walked into somebody's yard down the street. That's just life here. That's what we operate with. But if you make a lot of noise, a black bear will typically go away. If you make a lot of noise, a grizzly bear will go, oh, well, thank you very much for letting me know that you're there. I'm going to eat you ass first while you're still alive. And it will. Nothing, nothing dies of old age in nature, people. But that's werebears. Um, the, the part of the game that I want to explore here is how a different kind of werebear is going to be different based on the type of bear that it is. And what's important to note is that the, it's typically human. We can play it with different types of humanoids. They're going to take on the appearance and the characteristics over time of that type of bear that they are. They may increase in size in their human form. They may start to get a little bit hairier. I don't mean like they're going to start to look like Beast of X-Men. I mean that they're going to start to look more like a cartoon lumberjack is what I'm thinking, you know, where previously they might have been like the scrawny Captain America type. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so think about how not only the, the breed, the breed, the breed of bear that they are, but also how that's going to fit in with their alignment as well. Typically more good aligned, but not necessarily. Remember, just because somebody is a polar bear werebear and they're a vicious hunter doesn't mean that they're not good aligned. You know, it may just be more neutral. Bear's got to eat. Bear's got to eat, okay? Okay, so that's werebears from me. I'm going to hand it back over Adam and Dan. Another great area to explore there. A bear is not a bear is not a bear. Okay, so... First of all, he said specifically about how he's heard about werewolves on the Yorkshire Moors. Mm -hmm. Is that a British, like, are werewolves tied to British? Like, is there a flavor of that? A lot of research? British lore comes from Roman lore. I know that they're very tied together. They're very together. tied together. Yeah. But yeah, no, there, there, are, there are multiple legends of a werewolf-like creature that roams the Moors. That's cool. I like that. Through Scotland and England together, yeah, right? Okay. Um, now, of most creatures, sorry, of all the creatures in this episode, this one is the one that seems to break the mold a little bit. This one is neutral good with its alignment. Yeah, I feel like people tinker with that so that you can have more werebear fights. Honestly, I think it's because they try to have a Viking feel to these guys. And I don't know why I associate that, but like that. Uh, I don't know why either. That's that very Norse feel of like uh, the berserkers becoming. Like the bear just sticks to me as a very Norse feel. It's fine. I get Native American tribe. Oh from, yeah, from, okay, I could see from that too. Bears, bear warriors and whatnot. Yep, I I, I get that. I mean, I uh, especially in uh, our local tribe, speaking, that's a big thing. Speaking of bear warriors, I'm just no 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 no. no hold I on. I don't want to know about the movies you watch on your own time, Adam. Hey, you know what? If two men can't have fun by themselves, then what kind of anyway? No, look. 
So wear rats. Wearing only their skin in the olive oil that God gave them. <laughs> <laughs> so no, it was, it was it was from Jesus, but he was a Mexican guy behind the KFC. Oh, anyway, yeah, I know him well. <laughs> um, anyway, wear rats. So you know these guys all lycanthropes when they transform, they don't carry their items with them. That includes clothes, right? Werewolves and were boars tend to be out in the wilderness and whatnot, but where rats do not, they will often transform into rat form to get through these little holes and tunnels and pipes and, and whatnot. Are there just a bunch of naked were rats all over the place? Or do you think that there would be little bags, like little um, burlap sacks full of clothes littered all throughout the sewers? And that's an indication that were rats are near. Um, 100% I think that would be. Yeah. I just think that that's really fun, flavorful. like And not just throughout the sewers, like in strategic places and alleys. Oh, yeah. I, I agree with you. Yeah. Even yeah. like back storerooms where people don't go. Oh, in. that's really cool as a way to like uh, tip your players off really early that even if before they know it's a lycanthrope thing, like they're fighting an alley and like one player gets knocked back into in, into the alley and like there are just bags of clothes that they fall into. Yeah. I really like that. I, we said earlier that it's hard to track were rats. This is an indication, not necessarily their roots or whatnot, but that they're nearby. And this is also how I would, without it being sexual, include like the idea of nudity and a more adult theme to this. Good, Like the were rat, a rat pops out and all of a sudden, bam, there's a naked guy standing in front of you going, hold on, hold on, hold on. And then he like reaches into a bag behind the dumpster and pulls out pants, right? Like, I, I, I like that, but I also like the idea that um, I don't know why when I think of were-rats and their human forms, I think of Rowan Atkinson. Um, <laughs> All right. That's <laughs> fucking okay. Uh, but like, I just like a naked Rowan Atkinson appearing before your party. That is the third time you have mentioned naked Rowan Atkinson today, Dan. And I'm frankly concerned. It's actually been like five, but I guess you tuned out the other two. Yeah. Yes, I did. <laughs> okay. So anyway... Um, let's talk about how Terry got all worked up about the idea from bears that you could be because he totally freaking missed everything else about the werebear. <laughs> um, yeah, I think he was channeling Dave with his excitement of like the outdoors and knowing about bears. I know bear shit. Yeah. Yeah. But probably literally and figuratively. Yeah. Uh, so really quickly, let me go through it. Their AC is 10, 11 in hybrid or bear form. Their hit points are 18 D8 plus 54. Speed is 30 feet. 40 feet in bear or hybrid form with a climb of 30 feet in bear or hybrid form as well. Man, I'm still, I'm just pissed off the way rat doesn't get down to 20. Yep. Right? Like we've seen everything else. Perception is plus seven. So their passive perception will be 17. Um, They get the same immunity nonsense and shape changer info as everyone else, except when it uh, has a shape changer, they change into large size and their AC bumps up by one. Uh, I'm, I'm with it. I feel like it should bump up more than that because 11 is not high enough, but that's just me. Um, and of course, they get keen smell as well. Um, they do not get the keen hearing that uh, that some of the others do. It's multi-attack has two options, two claws if it's a bear, two great axe if it's a humanoid, or you can pick one or the other if it's in hybrid form. You don't get to do a great axe and a claw because, of course, a great axe is two-handed. Yeah, yeah, that's that, that makes sense. Yep, um, and it also has a bite attack, which is not included in the multi-attack. And all attacks are melee with a 5-foot reach and a plus 7 to hit. The claws do 2d8 plus 4. The great axe does 1d12 plus 4. And the bite does a whopping 2d10 plus 4. 
and has the that DC 14 con save to avoid becoming cursed. I feel like the bite not being a part of the multi-attack leans into the lore that they don't want to pass this on. No, this this seems like a um a a banner that that warrior must wear, right? And like they they understand what it is and they will hold it to themselves and they will use it when they need to. But it is it is definitely like a a um it is restrained in that regard. I like the idea of werebears not wanting to to do that. I also like that this flips it on its head where if you've got an evil campaign and someone gets bitten by a werebear, they may turn good. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I do I do like that. Do you think that evil creatures would hunt them for their saliva to turn more werebears? Uh no. I is it the saliva that carries the curse? Well, I mean, fuck, yes, except for boars, apparently. Fuck, like, I, it's always bite, it's never claw. In werewolf mythology, you can get slashed, and it will turn you. Yeah. But not in D&D. It's always, you know, your mouth stuff. Anyway, um, so as far as the player character stuff goes, we get the strength bump up to 19, if it isn't that high already. The plus one to AC, of course. Yeah. Um, but only in bear or hybrid form. Everything's based off strength, like it was before. Yeah, and uh, and if you embrace the lycanthropy, you become neutral good. I feel like that one doesn't matter so much. No. This is why I mean, like, like people are not going to... They're going to fuck with alignment a little bit more at the werebear than they would for the others. They're going to say, no, no, no. No, you have to be evil. You're a werewolf. But they're going to be like, ah, you were, you were lawful neutral before. It doesn't matter. Okay, so let's grab our dice one last time here. Let's talk about uh, mob structures for these guys. Got a four. Fourteen. God you, just, you just yep. suck. No, you I'm suck. You suck. Mob structure? Solo. Oh, 100%. Like, this is the mob that isn't a mob, right? This this is the guy that lives in the woods by himself. This is the hobbit. Yeah. What's his name? Bjorn. Bjorn. Which yeah. is just so on the nose. It hurts. I have a feeling that's where a lot of my is Tom Norse... Bombadil a furbolg? A hundred percent, he is. Huh? Or is he? Or is he more fey than that? Uh, he could be. Furbolg are very fey based. Not traditionally, not not so much a fifth ed. Uh, you look ah, uh, not even in fifth ed. Like I we, just feel like we see a lot fey. of the we see a lot of the art from Furbolg. Bjorn, 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 yeah, Bjorn, Bjorn. Okay, so look, werebears. Yeah, they're solo and they're going to be helpful, but they're also going to warn you away. I am a danger. Yeah. I, I am cursed. You do not want to be with me. I understand that you are in the woods and that you may need respite. You will not find respite here, my friend. Go there. It is far safer for you. Yeah. You're, or, this is not a safe place. Or you're fine here until the full moon. Because then they become a bear, which is unaligned and would eat. But I mean, like, even then, you got a decent chance of just not getting hit. I feel like of all of them, where bears are the ones that got cursed by a hag. Funny enough, I would have... Um, my werebears are almost never going to be a combat encounter. I mean, players are going to play her. They might attack them. Yeah. But they're not there to be a... They're there to be the MacGuffin, right? Your player has to go and find the werebear because you need something from him. He is a protector of something, right? Um, Some sort of... I'm, I'm sorry. I love, the, I love the idea of them going to like... We're going to go get a werebear skin rug. I'm like, no, man, just just get skin a human. When yeah. they die, they, they revert to their human form. <laughs> yeah. And now, now I like the idea of there, there's a hag with a lamp in the corner of the lampshade. It's made of human flesh. She swears it was a werewolf. 
<laughs> but <laughs> you're probably not. <laughs> Gross. Anyways, um, Adam, is there anything else about where uh, the, the the base level PHB lycanthropes that we uh, can talk about here that you want to bring up? Do you like how 5e represents lycanthropes? Um, is there a change other than boosting them in CR that you would do? I don't like what 5th Ed has done. I would kind of reinvent this from the ground up, starting with the spell. I make it a unique spell, like I said earlier. I just, lycanthropes have their place, have their purpose, but they're their own unique thing that when you say, hey, we're doing werewolves in D&D, you have to explain to your players what the fuck that means because it's not Wolfman. No. Right? It's not Underworld. It's not Twilight. It's not whatever they're used to seeing. It's an amalgamation of all of it. Yeah, and a whole lot of none of it, right? Yeah. And and they have taken away some of the stuff that you really rely on. If we can get into the idea of the night hag, what is it, the soul bag? Yeah. yeah. And and we've got the uh, the red caps, iron boots, and stuff. There should have been a section on silvered weapons in this. Yes, I right agree. in this in the monster manual here because it's so tied into everything. But I mean, by the time that you are Level five, you're fighting a werebear. You got fireball. You don't need a silvered sword. No, it, it, it basically all it does is neuter your your fighter characters. Yep, and highlight your spellcasters on something that should be a highlight, uh, high lit martial fight. All right, so I got one final question for you. Sure, werewolves and wolves go hand in hand. You can picture a werebear with a bear sidekick. Yes. Werebores and were-rats. Where do you land? Uh, werebores with pigs? 100%. They are, you said they were a small family out in the woods somewhere? Yeah. What do they do? They raise boar. I think they raise swine and they probably fucking eat it because it's not cannibalism. They're, they're farmers out in the... Yeah. Right? And it's almost a... Hey, if we have trespassers in here... We can become them and hide with the other pigs, yeah. right? Like, and and rats. I don't think rats, uh, like where rats, intentionally surround themselves with other rats. Like they're not they're not the rat king from the comics. As a matter of fact, I think that they probably fucking avoid them because where rats tend to be poor. They live in the dark, dank yeah. sections where rats are going to be in there eating their food and pissing and shitting and all this other stuff. The defouling. The were-rat. Like, I think that that's the one where they don't associate. Honestly, I, I know we said a lot that were-rats are the ones who are in the grime. They're in the guck. They're in the yeah. sewer. Like, they, that. nah, man. I, I see a were-rat embracing it, but dude lives a life of luxury. But I think in the sewer. Uh, like, I'm thinking I'm thinking Thieves Guild where you've got to go, like, you're splashing through the sewer. And then all of a sudden you walk into the Cave of Wonders. Oh, yeah. Right, because I'm thinking more Thieves Guild. And, and it's just like that. a hybrid form were-rat with a gigantic paunch and a sideways crown. I wasn't going that far. Again, I don't play Looney Tunes d and I'm not saying, well... <sighs> but you, you absolutely... Look, it There's fits by the There's a way to lore. do that yeah. image seriously is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think that you could have a, a group of 120 were-rats down there all working together for... Uh, what was his name? Fabian and, and Oliver Twist? Yes. Right? Like, there was the, the leader of the, the thieves. That's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have the crown on dangling off of one ear Tom and Jerry style. Right? Uh, no, I'm not saying dangling off one ear, but, like, sideways on his head. Like, there's a relaxed nature to 
them, right? Like, uh, 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 I don't know. I think the, I think the leader of the were rats, the lawful evil were rats. The leader is probably the most uptight. I don't think he's got a crown. I think you just fucking know. He's the mob boss? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Anyways, that will be a decent portion of what we can find in 5e on like Lycanthropes. But we are only half done, Adam. Don't forget to come back next week when we uh, when we uncover another five kinds of were-creatures that are hidden around the moonlit corners of Dungeons & Dragons. That'll be it for this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, you can head on over to www.itsamimic.com and smash that little donate button. Or you can tell your friends and the rest of your D&D party about the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. Stay safe out there and just stay safe out there. Just stay safe out there. My, my, you all like, yeah, boom. Stay safe out there, guys. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. So to wrap up the episode, I have one question for you, Adam and Dan. And that is, which movie best represents lycanthropy? And why is it Van Helsing starring Hugh Jackman and Kate Beckinsale? Fuck you, Brad. Van Helsing sucked. It did. Except for Kate Beckinsale. <sighs> it's Beckinsale. You, you added the D this time. Because that's what you want to do with her. And that's the only reason you watch those movies. Look, Van Helsing was not... I'm so I'm so mad. All right, Dan, roll for it. Best best werewolf in best werewolf uh, movie. Fifteen. Okay, so now after the post credits, Wolfman, the original, yeah. Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah, I mean it. It does not get better than that. I mean, uh, werewolf in London for the changing form, like the the the, the, the that, that transition is great. The underworld movies are great for that visual of the snout growing. Um, but in terms of the horror the um anxiety of a wolfman it, it's it's got to be wolfman i really liked i'm gonna go to tv for a second i really did like what supernatural did for the yep, world i agree um because there was that level of control if you denied it and whatnot and if you didn't feed then you didn't if you never fed on human flesh you wouldn't succumb to the there's a lot of good stuff you could pull for your D in there I also like the Benicio del Toro and Anthony Hopkins Wolfman movie was bad, but the transformation scene was pretty cool. It was badass, yeah. Strangely enough, my favorite Wolfman is not a wolf, is is, is not a werewolf at all. It's a really bad movie, but they did a really neat thing with it. Um, you know the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. I was I was wondering with, about yeah with the Doctor Jekyll Mister Hyde yep. When he goes Mr. Hyde, he wolfs out, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. He does get big and hairy and there's a transformation and he's he becomes more feral and stuff. And that's what I kind of see for the transition just before you hit wolf, like hybrid status. Yeah. So, I don't know. I really, I like that. I don't think that there's a perfect one. American Werewolf in Paris or London. Yeah. Both great. Yes. Both wonderful. Ginger Snaps is weird. It's Canadian. It's not not oh, fantastic. I forgot, but it's, I forgot it's, about Ginger Snaps. Yeah, it's not bad. Like I thought it was okay. Cursed is the worst fucking movie of all time. I think Christina Ricci's in it. I saw it in theaters when I was like sixteen and knew then it was bad. Like it was even with Christina Ricci in it. I yeah, I fucking love Christina Ricci. She's one of my favorite actors, and not for a Kate Beckinsale reason. So, um, but that's that movie was fucking terrible. 
just fucked. I, now, I'm, now I'm angry again. Now I'm goddamn angry. What else is new, Adam? Okay, well, thanks, Adam and Dan, for passing it over to me. I'm going to talk to you guys about werebears for the second time. You guys don't know. I just recorded my entire segment, and I was frustrated because people kept calling me on my phone as I was trying to do uh, my recording, and I think that frustration came out during my recording because I missed half of the stats that I was supposed to report on, which is the only reason that I'm here. So I can't imagine what I was talking about. I've deleted the recording, so nobody will ever know. Also, I would like to report that you can actually hear my neighbors stomping around. <laughs> Little side story for you guys. We just got new neighbors who fucking walk like elephants. And uh, the neighbor on the other side is now starting to complain, which makes us feel better. But uh, yeah, so sorry if you hear footsteps stomping. I will do my best to try and hear it over the microphone and stop if it happens. So any damn whoozle. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. <laughs> okay, you're done. Get it. <laughs> <laughs>